And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of May 2022, and we are in the midst of our uh, Masterclass Revisited month. Uh, essentially what we're going to be doing this month, for the, ma for the majority of the weeks therein, uh, is take a look at Masterclass's past. And essentially what that means is uh, we take a look at a long-spanning film franchise or multimedia franchise and just take a look at the various iterations, the various films that have been made uh, for these franchises over the years. And uh, last week we took a revisit to the Batman film franchise and uh, this week we're going to be doing so again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this time around we're going to be taking a look at a contemporary Bat film. Uh, so last week we covered Batman, Mask of the Phantasm from 1993, which is a animated film which we probably mentioned uh, during our initial uh, batch of Batman Masterclasses, but we skipped over it, so yeah. we came back and we did that. Um, but this week we're going to be taking a look at Matt Reeves's The Batman mm -hmm. from this year, from 2022. Supposedly, yeah. <laughs> Supposedly. Uh, that's actually a really important aspect of the, the film's production, is yeah. that this was a, uh, quote, COVID production. Uh, and it was one that was stalled uh, many a time. It was delayed numerous times, both during production and at release. Um, so as Kyle had said, it's like, I don't exactly know when the fuck this thing w was intended to come out, uh, but it came out. Uh, now it's readily available on HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, it got a theatrical release in March of this year. Um, but Kyle, uh, we, uh, we tackle our Batman masterclasses. I can't speak to the rest of our masterclasses, but um, last week we used a, a nifty template. Uh, we had a series of bullet points that mm -hmm. were really, really helpful uh, in guiding us through our conversation. So we're not going to be doing a, a front-to-back, like, minute-by-minute exploration of the film. Uh, we're just going to be kind of like talking about general ideas and concepts in, mm -hmm. in, in like pockets here and there. So, Kyle, like, where do we start with this one? Well, we kind of start with our personal histories. And I think we've talked, I've talked ad nauseum about our, like, my personal history with Batman, but I'll just give it like kind of a brief rundown. And uh, I guess my excitement going into this film. So, I'm a big Batman fan. I'm not a huge fan of uh, comic book films or properties. It's just not my thing. I didn't really grow up with it. But I did very much grow up with Batman and Jim Carrey. Uh, and, uh, so I very much like the Bat the Burton Batman. I actually like the Schumacher Batman. Um, it's hard to revisit Batman and Robin, but <laughs> there is a time and place for it. Um, but uh, I also really like the Christopher Nolan Batman. Um, I actually just recently... Because after watching this, I had to cleanse the palate. <laughs> I went with The Dark Knight. Um, and again, revisiting that, I'm like, I like about half of that movie, to be honest with you. The, once the Two-Face comes in, I think that movie goes downhill and just kind of, wow. kind of sputters out a little wow. bit. But that's not important. Uh, <laughs> that's not important. I, but on the whole, I would say I do enjoy the uh, pretty much Burton on. I like most of the Batman properties. I've still never seen Batman v Superman. I've seen pieces of Justice League. I mean, I've seen it, but I don't remember it. I don't even remember it. I don't even remember Batman in that movie. Um, done pretty much no Batfleck. No Batfleck. Uh, so going into this, um, I was super excited from, you know, obviously the trailers and everything. 
Um, this was going to be, uh, at least from the trailers, of a much darker uh, take on Batman. I think this is rated R, too, if I'm not mistaken. No. Is it, it PG-13? It is a PG-13. Okay, well, we get one fuck in here, so... Um. Actually, that's a quirk of the rating system, is mm. you are allotted exactly one F-bomb, like, soft F-bomb. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the friendlier F-bomb. Yeah. The socially acceptable F-bomb, yeah. if you will, um, per film. Um, and actually, I was kind of curious as to why they chose to use it when they did in this one. I, I don't know. Um, uh, just jumping right into it, um, Happy Fucking Halloween is is where it's utilized by the commissioner. Um, however, the penguin later on has the perfect opportunity to, to drop an F word. Instead, mm-hmm. he says friggin'. Yeah. And I, I found that. that to be highly inappropriate. It was very inappropriate. Given everything we know about that character and the context, he's, he's, he's in... A scary situation. Yeah, a, a fucking would be perfectly warranted. <laughs> Trevor, I have never not used the f word when I've been driving and I've been angry at somebody. It has been a hard uck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kyle had told me last time we talked that uh, he has a he actually has a gesture he performs. Yeah, like it's it's both a, he has to verbalize it and he has to gesticulate. Yeah, yeah. it's a one-two punch. I sound like Joey Diaz uh, <laughs> in the car. I sound like a worked-up Joey Diaz when I'm in the car. Yeah, Kyle's actually bashed his knuckles on <laughs> on his windows inside it, on the interior windows of his car. I don't have road rage. I have road anger. There's a difference. <laughs> I got anger. Anger what? <laughs> anger what? Uh, but yeah, so I guess the, the second part to that was just uh, personal history with this. I was very much excited when I okay. saw the trailers for this. Um, I thought this was going to be a lot of... Uh, I thought it was going to be fun, but I, knew, I thought it was also going to be a darker take, which I was excited for personally. Yeah. Uh, actually, I remember the texts uh, that you and I exchanged way back then, probably in, what, 2019 or some shit? It was sometime. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember... Very distinctly, I love the Gotham, um, and I can't fight you on that. I, I think in the finished film, it, it holds up to the trailers, the Very promise uh, of the trailers. I think the Gotham and this is fantastic mm-hmm. um, in a variety of ways. But um, as for myself, um, my personal history with the Bat character, I already said this last week in detail, so I'm not going to go into as much depth there, but um, my journey with Batman pretty much dates back to the early 90s, um, Nightfall. Uh, the story wherein the Bane character was actually properly introduced uh, to the Batman mythos. Uh, that was my introduction to the comics of Batman. It just so happened that that was around the same time as the Batman animated series was coming out. Uh, so I had a perfect launch pad, a perfect introduction to getting obsessed with that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I've kind of been in love with it ever since. Uh, <laughs> me, and, me and comic books had a, a rough divorce several years ago. <laughs> Um, I have way too many hobbies and way too many collections, and something had to give. And Kyle, Kyle's, I'm in his apartment. He does. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of shit in here. There's a lot of plastic, is what we're getting at. <laughs> he single-handedly is killing the environment in here. It's not that bad, folks. So we're, we're, yeah. It's not my problem. It's my spawn's problem. <laughs> but something had to give. Uh, so I made the very sad decision of saying, you know what, I can't buy comics anymore. I, I love the medium, in particular superhero comics. I love both DC and Marvel, but I just don't buy them anymore. I, I keep tabs on them every once in a while. It's very similar to my relationship to wrestling. Mm. I allow myself one month out of every year to, to, <laughs> to indulge in wrestling. That would be the WrestleMania month. And then I just walk away. And it, like everything else, it's like I can watch YouTube clips or something or just like listen to other people talk about this shit oh instead of like consuming it myself. Um, but in general, I, 
I will come out of the woodwork for pretty much any Batman film that makes it to theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, even the Zack Snyder films, I, I think, have some something for them. Like, they have something going for them. Uh, Kyle actually had to do the Zack Snyder episode solo. I don't think Kyle was involved in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would sooner recommend you watch Batman vs. Superman over Justice League. Mm. Um, solely because uh, Justice League is, is vapid and just, like... There's, I, there's nothing to it. I technically have seen it. I was there when it was playing in my apartment, <laughs> but I don't remember a, a lick of it. That's what that movie is. Okay. The, the Joss Whedon version of that movie is its just kind of a nothing. It's very safe, and as a result, it ends up being unmemorable. The Zack Snyder version is still not great. It's, it's inarguably better, but it's fucking four hours long. That's asking too much of most people. Did I send you that clip from Community with the guys? Like, you guys excited for Avengers? I feel like he's like, Marvel got real hands-on, really penciled in Joss Whedon. How could that go wrong? Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... Like, Joss Whedon, we don't talk about him anymore, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's one of well, those guys. I never did, but yeah. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> like, I never, I never got into Firefly. I never really got into Buffy or anything. So, like, to me, like, I know him. Yeah. I read some of his comics. I read his Astonishing X-Men back in the day. That was very short. Mm. Uh, very digestible. But, um, yeah, Batman versus Superman is bad in the most curious of ways. Mm. I, it's not good, trust me. It's, it's really not but it's like a car crash. It's like I can't look away, can't look or away. it's just like I, I I need to study you. Like I need to understand why all the decisions made in this film were made. And as a result, I've seen it like five fucking times, and I own it. Like unlike Man of Steel and and the Joss Whedon cut of Justice League, I could I couldn't be bothered to own those or rewatch them for that matter. I think I have the same relationship with Cloud Atlas. Like there's there's something about it that is is odd that I have to keep studying. Yeah, um, that's going to actually be. A, a part of this discussion. Oh, really? So we'll circle back to that when when the time is right. But um, not the movie. The, oh, I, the idea okay. of, <laughs> of studying a thing without necessarily appreciating it on every level, mm-hmm. um, or enjoying it for that matter. <laughs> um, but as far as this movie specifically, um, I was, I would say lukewarm. I just kind of, I wasn't invested in it. Mm-hmm. I saw the early promotional trailers, like like Kyle had said like yeah that looks great like aesthetically that looks incredible i'm very happy with that and it was around that time that like robert pattinson was putting in incredible work as an actor divorced like firmly divorced from the twilight franchise oh, yeah. so it's like yeah he's he's come away from that Kristen stewart's up for oscars and shit they both come away from that very very clean and very very capable yeah they're both headlining stars with very very wide array of talents at their disposable um and as a result, like I just, I kind of looked at it and I was like, I'm just going to assume this is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not invested in it. It'll show up at my doorstep like an Amazon package and I'll open it up and just be like, yeah, that was good. Yeah. So I wasn't super hyped about it, but given the people behind the camera and in front of it, I was just like, yeah, Matt Reeves is a capable director. Robert Pattinson is a very capable actor. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright's a very capable, everybody involved in this is great. Paul Dano's great. Like, there's no way it will be bad, is what I said, basically. And kind of as a result, I was just, I didn't really get super invested in it. Mm. And here we are. <laughs> yeah, I went in with expectations. And spoiler alert, they were not met. <laughs> well, I, I will say this much. Um, I 
kind of made it a mission to stay away from any spoilers mm. or even reviews for this movie. Yeah, I did. And too. I, I managed to succeed, like all the way into May of 2022. Like, goddamn, movies come out way too fast, man. Like, this was in theaters two months ago, Kyle. What I the know. fuck? <laughs> uh, I so yeah, I I'd seen. I think I I was getting more hyped when I when it first came to theaters, and I'm like just I I'm on Reddit, you know, and I I follow the Batman subreddit. And a lot of people on there were like, this is the new greatest thing that's ever happened to Batman. They're like putting it as like the, the best one they've seen over the other ones. I'm like, okay, like that's high praise coming from the Batman subreddit. Uh, thing is, you don't know how old people are on that sub on subreddits. That's actually a really interesting question. And one that I've been asking myself lately is like, what, what does this movie mean to people who are not us? Who is this for? Like what age group is this for? I want to say teenagers. Really? Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that later, but like I'm just recalling when The Dark Knight came out, mm-hmm. and I was what in college, 2008. Yeah, I was college aged. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in college, and I'm just thinking about how much that movie meant to people in our relative age range at that time. Huge. It was huge. Yeah. And I, I'm trying, like, I don't have the tools. I'm, I'm an almost 35-year-old man at this point. Like, I'm curious, like, what what the younger people, like, what their assessment of this thing is. Yeah, maybe maybe that that is, uh, that's an interesting uh, thought because I was thinking on the way over here, I'm like, maybe I'm just too old. Like, maybe these themes and, like, maybe this, this execution is just not for my age anymore. But I was watching the trailers thinking that it was for me because this is much darker than the the Nolan Batman uh, just like as like as it was advertised it was much darker so I'm like I think they're trying to go for an older audience with this I don't know that that's true well what I was thinking yeah. was I thought yeah, they were yeah, going yeah. for an older I mean audience. from an aesthetic standpoint you would think that dark caters to more quote mature yeah um I don't think that's the case and, right. and we'll get into that when we get to some of the, the themes at work in this film because yeah. That's where most of my interest lies in this in this film as a whole. Like like we'll we'll get into like our our pure assessment of the movie, like how we feel about it. You may have noticed by our tone of voice, like there there's likely a little bit of disagreements ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the themes and the ideas at work in this movie, I do find very fascinating, especially through the eyes of somebody of a younger generation. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Um, should we segue into like the Pro- production itself? Yeah, production history, and we can talk about Matt Reeves as well. Yeah. Okay. So, as I recall, the the story behind this one uh, actually directly connects to that which preceded it. So that would be the Zack Snyder era of the Batman character. I see. I he I forget about those Batman. They don't even. Uh, they did not even. There. Not even there. They're not even there. Not even there. Yeah. Kyle. Kyle has completely missed. He missed Batfleck entirely. Mm-hmm. So he has not seen the shorn gorilla in a bat suit. Uh, he has not seen that even even a lick of it, as no. far as I understand. No. Which is fine. Um, but you need to understand that like Ben Affleck was riding pretty high uh, at this time, but he was also. Uh, horribly depressed and was hitting the bottle extraordinarily hard um, such that he even went on to make a movie about alcoholism and kind of coming on out the other end of it um, the way back yeah the the basketball coach thing yeah I think that's a Gavin O'Connor film that's the same fellow that did uh, uh, not gladiator uh, warrior Um, and and one you actually do like miracle 
<laughs> I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> warrior, not so much. Yeah. yeah, warrior, we talked about, but I do. I, <laughs> it doesn't mean Kyle liked it, but we did you talk. I listened <laughs> pretty much for two and a half hours. Um, but I do know that Kyle likes Miracle. Yes. So Gavin O'Connor, I do actually like for the most part as a director, and he and Affleck kind of have a thing. And that movie is actually good. I liked it. Um, I liked it quite a bit, actually. Um, the way back. Oh. Um, anyway, yeah. basically, what happened was. Bat, Batfleck gets he gets his his talons dug into that that bat suit. Uh, the studio's happy with him. Most, in fact, a lot of people were happy with him as Batman slash Bruce Wayne. On the record, I've never had any issues with uh, Batman casting. Like I, they've all aside from George Clooney, but I don't even have a problem with that. Like I was a kid, but yeah. like when they're like <laughs> Ben Affleck's gonna be Batman, I'm like okay. He's got a square jaw. That's what you you need somebody who can be tough and have a square jaw and good looking. Like that's basically Bruce Wayne. You're actually right. Like I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. We, I don't think we've had an outright just bad Batman. No. Yeah, it, it's kind of like James Bond, honestly. Like I don't think we've had like a straight up bad James Bond. I mean, we've had ones that didn't have much time to work with, like George Lazenby. Like he had one go at the role, and then Timothy Dalton was a little old for it by the time he got to it, and Roger Moore was way too old for it by the time they ushered him out. Same goes for Pierce Brosnan, for that matter. Um, but yeah, in general, I don't think we've had a bad a bad bat. Um, anyway, the story of Ben Affleck goes: um, he was actually uh, courted both as actor and director. Oh, really? Oh, well, that's right. He's yeah. He is a he is a Oscar winning director, as far as I he understand. Is, yeah. yeah, Argo did quite well. I think he did. Did he do the Did he direct the Town? Yes, he did. I love the Town. Okay, Kyle loves the town. It's one of my favorite heist movies. It's yeah, so, so Ben Affleck is—he was courted as both because he's quite capable of both, and you know that's quite the tool to have in your pocket if you're a studio. Very true. Um, so Warner Brothers was like, "Hey, Ben, you want to be Batman and maybe direct us another Oscar-winning film?" And he was like, "Fucking sure." <laughs> Can I bring Kevin Smith? And they're like, "No, no." <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I'm sure they're very chummy with him, too. Yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake, he hypes all of their products. Like, he's a valuable asset, yes. Yeah, he is a valuable asset to any nerd property that exists. Very much. <laughs> and he loves everything. Before I forget, I do want to go back at some point and watch uh, some of the Timothy Dalton... Um, uh, James Bonds because all I'm, two of them. <laughs> I yeah, I haven't seen. I've only seen him in Wuthering Heights, which is one of the most boring. I think I've I've said before. Like, there's several movie adaptations. It's super boring, but he's in Hot Fuzz, and he's a lot of fun. In Hot he Fuzz. is a lot of fun. His final shot in that movie. It's <laughs> it's so good. Uh, but I'm like, he's so charming. Even as an older man, I'm like, I bet he's a great James Bond. I'd like to see that. Oh yeah, Neville Sinclair in, in <laughs> The Rocketeer. He, he's great. No, he, he's a wonderful actor. Um, he should have... I wish he had gotten to be Bond when he was a little younger mm. because he was being courted continuously. It's just he was always busy or something came up or Roger Moore wouldn't let it go. I don't exactly remember the details. Point is, he, sh he was supposed to get in there earlier and unfortunately bond as a property by the time he he came to the fore by the time he was given the the tuxedo was not in vogue it was the fucking 80s man like, like mel gibson had a mullet uh, john matrix was destroying like made up south american countries we were in a whole <laughs> yeah. rambo was fighting I think he was fighting Russians at that point. Like I think he was done with the Vietnamese by then. Yeah, but molds and protein shakes. Yeah. yeah. Point is, James Bond as an action hero, yeah. it's not what we're all about. By the time 
Timothy Dalton got to the role. So he I'm did he he did quite well with the material he was afforded. Just wasn't the right time for the franchise as a whole. Batfleck. <laughs> so the story goes, as far as I understand, um, Warner Brothers really wanted him to direct a Batman film following the Zack Snyder Justice League project and all that business. Um, things started to fall apart. Justice League didn't do very well. Batman versus Superman. All of these movies made money, as far as I understand. But from a critical standpoint, they were not not a hundred percent loved. So Batman versus Superman, followed by Justice League, wasn't doing great. Um, the promotional tour, followed by the pressure, uh, like the redditors and stuff attacking yeah. him online constantly, really did a number on Ben Affleck, um, and he got cold feet. Um, and also he was dealing with alcoholism. Mm. Um, so he actually crafted a, he drafted a script uh, for his Batman movie. Interesting. Um, and it got pretty far into pre-production. Well, not pre-production, but in terms of like crafting a script, there's even like storyboards that have surfaced for this thing. That'd be interesting to see. Uh, <laughs> the fucking goobers on Twitter really want to see this thing happen now that he's back in shape and happy again. It's like, I don't know, man. Like... The, the promotional tour alone for for all that Batman shit does a number on you, and mm. I think he's a lot happier now that he's divorced from the property. Um, but yeah, his Batman movie was supposed to take place uh, largely in Arkham Asylum. Mm. It was supposed to feature a, a wide array of the Batman rogues gallery, yeah, and like uh, Joey Manganiello was supposed to be Deathstroke as the chief antagonist of the film. Um, and on paper, I love that. It's just like, yeah, I want to see Joey Abs go toe to toe with Batfleck. <laughs> you just made me, you just made me re-angry about John Turturro in this movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ben Affleck uh, bowed out after a very long stretch of time. Like, like the studio kept calling him back, and like he was actually working on the script, but he had to go to rehab and shit. Mm. Um, now he's doing better though, so we're That's all ha- we're That's all happy good. about that. But through all this chaos, uh, Warner Brothers kind of decides, like, you know, start over. We need to start over. Yeah. So we're going to start courting other directors. Um, as far as I know, there were uh, some pretty amazing names being being courted, um, but ultimately Matt Reeves would be the one to get the gig. Um, and it was in when he was in the midst of uh, the production of, I believe, War for the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the last of the Apes films. All great. Yeah. Uh, he only directed two of the three of the recent trilogy. But yes, um, that I think that's like one of the most slept on recent trilogies of films yeah. like in terms of like just objective quality they're way the fuck up there it's just nobody fucking remembers them you know how much i dislike cgi but yes. i was given like when i finished i think the last one the, the last two i think i gave like uh gomez adams bravo bravo <laughs> like those are really good those are a lot of fun oh I really no I, I actually rewatched them uh, maybe a month before the theatrical release of the Batman, because I I, yeah, I, I wanted to take a look at Matt Reeves because I, I I had a seed planted in my head of what to expect from the Batman, and actually I ended up getting largely what I expected. Really, um, just because he has some he has some quirks, he has some tendencies um, that I find fascinating. But I bet you there's a lot of people who get really fucking frustrated with him for, um, you know, in kind of like a Ryan Johnson sort of way. But uh, I actually pulled it up. Uh, some of the other directors being courted uh, to pick up the the bat flick uh, following Ben Ben Affleck uh, bowing out was uh, Gavin O'Connor. Funny enough, um, Ridley Scott, 
George Miller, who, of course, uh, was in line to do a Justice League at some point. I, I believe it was in the 90s. Didn't happen, but he would obviously go on to do just fine after that with <laughs> Happy Feet and, and Matt Max. Ridley Scott's an interesting one, because I honestly don't know what that would be. I don't either. I don't think he knows you. <laughs> That's the interesting thing about Ridley Scott. And I think one of the things I love about him as a director is just like you don't know what this you don't know what you're going to get into necessarily with uh, one of his films, especially contemporary. You, I love I like a lot of his films. But I'll go in, I'm like that was fucking terrible. I'll go in, I'm like I was not expecting to like that uh, for that reason. Well, all the studio cares about is if you show up. Um, and he, Ridley Scott's name carries that kind of power. I'm going to go watch it, yeah. Yeah, if he makes it, you'll fucking watch it. I'm going to watch it. I don't know about the Raised by Wolf show. I've tried. <laughs> I was, I, I've heard great things. Um, I've heard great things about it. I tried watching it, but I was just not in that sci-fi kind of mood when I started it. So I'll, I'm going to circle back to that eventually. But I have heard good things. Well, I've been hearing rumors that Xenomorphs may be added to the equation. Fuck yeah. I have the opposite reaction. I'm yeah, like, keep yeah. that shit out of here. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to watch your fucking show. Oh, we're going to get into this later I, this month. It's don't like, worry. I'm not going to watch your fucking show. And uh, like, now, now you're forcing my hand. You're making me watch your fucking show just because you put the Xenos in there. We'll finish up with Xenomorphs this month. Don't worry, folks. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Denis Villeneuve, uh, the Dune guy. Oh, yeah. Or Denis Villeneuve. Oh. Uh, if you, I don't actually know a man who's name. batting a thousand right now. Yeah, and Fede Alvarez, who okay. is also doing quite handsomely. Yep. Um, he's what doing Evil Dead, I believe. Oh fuck yes! <laughs> so yeah, uh, Matt Reeves beat all of them out. Um, that's that's saying quite a lot. Yeah, um, and I, I don't think they lost out. Like Matt, as far as I understand, this movie from both a critical and a financial standpoint has done. It's just done fine. fine. It's just done. Fine. It's done. Just we're gonna, fine. We're going to get more of these, <laughs> and I honestly think they could get better. There's um, room for improvement. Um, but you want to talk about Reeves for a second? Yeah. Um, so I know him, of course, from doing a couple of Planet of the Apes movies. And then Cloverfield, which I'm not a found footage guy. It's just not my thing. When I was a little bit younger, I could do him. Like, Paranormal Activity was big at the time, Cloverfield. Um, the Visit was pretty good, the M. Night Shyamalan uh, movie. But it's just not something I can really revisit now that I'm a little bit older. But I do, I do remember very much liking Cloverfield. So I'd say... From what I've seen of him, it's been pretty good. Okay. Well, I mostly know him for the Planet of the Apes films as well. Yeah. Um, and Cloverfield was a little bit of a surprise. Um, I forgot he had directed that until I was researching for this episode. And I was like, oh, no shit. Oh, wait, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Real quick, just to plug it, if you haven't seen 10 Cloverfield Lane, get off your ass. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. Ending. Oh, I love it. That, that, you that, love that, it? I love the ending. You love it? Okay. Yeah, that, that, I love the whole movie, but the ending, I'm like, okay, great. I love that too. Totally oh, fine. I don't no know. Spoilers. If, I don't know if he would say this about the actress in particular, but Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast often says, she's great. Yeah. And that's that's all I'll say about Mary Woods. Mary Elizabeth, Elizabeth Winston. Yeah, we cannot get you started on Mary Elizabeth she, Winston. <laughs> she's great. <laughs> Moving on. Moving <laughs> on. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that was a welcome surprise um, because I didn't remember that. But then when I discovered that, I was like, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense from what I've noticed about this guy. And I'll, I'll, I'll point out exactly what I'm getting at in a second here. But fun little fact that Kyle and I both discovered. Yeah. Uh, one of his very earliest credits in in the Hollywood system, uh, Mr. Matt Reeves, is uh, Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, yeah. starring one Steven Seagal, which uh, for me is really funny because that just happens to be 
the first Steven Seagal movie I ever saw, but also potentially the first R-rated movie I ever saw. So me and Matt Reeves go way the fuck back. Um, but anyway, uh, talking about what I saw in Reeves, what I, what I expected for this film, The Batman, um, based on previous dealings with this guy. Um, subversion is the word that comes to mind. Swerves. Delivering not what you want, but what he feels the story needs. Yeah, Which, okay. um, the, reason I, the reason I'm pointing this out and the reason why I name-dropped him earlier, Ryan Johnson, uh, who gave us uh, The Last Jedi. Kyle? Oh, no. I think it's somebody else. Keep going. Uh, he gave us The Last Jedi and Knives Out. Mm. Um, but most important, the most important one is The Last Jedi. Which is, of course, known as the single most divisive Star Wars slash it's great blockbuster film maybe ever made. Um, discussions about this thing fucking destroy the internet. Um, there are people on both ends of the spectrum. People who absolutely sing its praises and think it's the single most brilliant Star Wars product ever made. And there are people who think it is the worst fucking thing. The, the most egregious catastrophe that's ever befallen the franchise. That's episode eight? Uh, yes, I hate that one. Yeah, no. Okay, so yeah. Kyle is no. he's he's on that end of the spectrum. It's he, half good. It's ha- half of it's good. <laughs> he fucking hates it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I'm wishy washy in that way. I I can't say I hate it uh, because actually very very similar to this film to the Batman. Um, and this is why it, I went so far as to Google are Matt Reeves and Ryan Johnson friends <laughs> because I spotted some some similarities between the two that I was like holy fucking shit like the way I feel about this movie is kind of similar to that where it it has some really brilliant ideas and it has some swerves in there that I can't help but read as being deliberately not crowd pleasing like deliberately aggravating on on like on the part of the viewer but they're doing it because they have some greater purpose at work or some greater concept some greater guiding high guiding hand behind the scenes or something sounds like von trier potentially yeah <laughs> but um fun fact uh, matt reeves is apparently childhood friends with jj abrams oh that's a good friend to have it's a very good friend that's to have friend and to the have. two of them apparently worked for steven spielberg like like uh I could see that. That makes a whole... Dude, you just blew my mind. Of course J.J. Abrams worked for fucking Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah. No, Jesus. I, yeah. Why did I... Well, I, I didn't learn this until just the other day. Apparently, they, they did like a summer job of converting uh, video formats for him or something. Dude, that's a good job. As like kids. That's um, pretty cool. And they were both like youngsters at the time, and now look at them. But yeah, right. <laughs> good friends to have. Um, but his connection to J.J. Abrams is very fascinating in that... J.J. Um, Abrams is famous for his uh, mystery box marketing concept. Uh, he did a TED Talk that's now legendary these days, like infamous and legendary. I'll take a uh, word for it. Um, and uh, also, they both worked on Felicity, the, huh. <laughs> the TV show back in the day. Um, and also, uh, it seems like Matt Reeves maybe formed a relationship through J.J. Abrams with the composer of this film, Michael Giacchino, or Giacchino, or however it's pronounced. Uh, because the two of them have both worked extensively with him as a composer. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if that relationship formed, like, mutually or something. Um, but yeah, the main quirk I noticed with Matt Reeves is that he has a tendency to subvert expectations. Um, very dramatically in the Planet of the Apes films. Very much. I was thinking, I'm like, there's one scene in particular, I'm like, you, like, 
I was watching like you motherfucker. <laughs> no, he does it continually through that film, but most especially in the third act, there's a specific moment. We're not going to spoil oh, it yeah, because no. we haven't talked about those movies in proper, but you, our listeners, should definitely see them. Yeah. Um, regardless if you want to hear us talk about it or not. But yeah, uh, there's a moment towards the end of War for the Planet of the Apes that uh, it's the third one. Oh. Uh, the last one. The one with yeah. Woody. Yeah. Woody Harrelson. Mm-hmm. Um, where the movie takes, uh, it places you in a situation, it places the characters in a situation where in a more straightforward film we all know what's going to happen here and mm-hmm. then oh wait that didn't play out the way anybody wanted it to but i'm not mad at the movie because mm-hmm. that made a lot of sense from a dramatic standpoint and it, there's internal logic to that world as well that's at play um and similarly cloverfield uh is a movie that uh, a friend of mine back in college actually wrote an essay about because he thought the love story was very very touching he thought it was beautiful um it's it's about a man throwing throwing everything he's got into finding like finding the girl basically yeah but like they were barely dating and she was just a 10 <laughs> i mean honestly like that's what he was doing we like, were in we were in college so, <laughs> she's so hot dude we have to go save I mean, her it's, it's Oded Usman. She, she's great yeah. <laughs> yeah i i mean don't get me wrong i get it but it's not called a love story for crying out loud yeah yeah but um <laughs> Point is, like, I thought that was fascinating that he and I saw the same movie and we had totally different impressions of it mm. because I viewed it as, like, I viewed it more from a technical standpoint. I was looking at it from a more logistical standpoint in terms of, like, what happens in the movie and mm. how it's presented. Whereas my friend solely keyed in on the emotional aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. That's a blockbuster movie that if you approach it from a certain angle it's like it's totally not that at all it's just about a boy and a girl in the city so how did you go into this movie because this was supposed to be i i generally go in genuine generally go into films as just as a movie going experience like i'm just trying to experience the film um and it's easier to do that especially if you're in a theater which one of the times i tried to watch this <laughs> was in the theater story time yeah uh oh should i tell that now yeah, yeah so please <laughs> so i actually had a flight the next day i was flying back to uh back to the east coast and I had a few hours to kill, and I'm like, you know, on like the day before, and I was just exhausted. But I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go see the Batman. I'm gonna go see it before I go because I'm not gonna have a chance to see it when I get back. So I'm gonna go check it out. So I go to my favorite theater in uh, uh, in Seattle. I think it's the AMC 11, the one in the U District. Um, it's 21 and over. So I get there, and I'm excited. I've got my Junior Mints that I didn't pay for in that theater. I paid for someplace else, and I've got my bottle of water, and I'm super excited. And I sit down, and about, I'd say about 40, 45 minutes into it, I'm checking my watch because I'm like, this is really just drudging through. Like, this is taking forever. And finally, I think about an hour, about an hour in, I'm like, I, I think it was when Paul, the, the scene where the Riddler is on the call, and he's like breathing uh, into it, and he's just like hard to understand. I'm like, I can't, I'm not, I don't have the time or the energy to sit through this right now because there's another two hours of this movie. And I can't even stand the Riddler right now. So I'm like, I'm done. I'll watch this later sometime. So I walked out of the theater and I didn't rewatch it until a few days ago. Um, but I'm asking, how did you go into it? Because you didn't go to the theater. You got to watch it here where you could pause and, you know, take notes and such. Well, um, I, I took it took it upon myself to, like, make sort of a challenge. where I watched it as a movie? I watched, watched it as a, as a challenge. If you've been listening to us and you've realized... 
Trevor and I have two different ways that we go into movies. Trevor is more analytical, and he's very much interested in the movie, but he also very much like likes the filmmaking aspect of movies, and I think it's hard for him to turn that off sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah actually, this podcast has ruined me for enjoying <laughs> films. Yeah, <basically>, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you for sharing that story. I've been yeah. trying to get that out of him for a long time. So... You said Paul Dano was on the phone. Um, or the the was it was it when Sarsgaard is uh, taped up with the bomb? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Full spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Dude, we're going to spoil the whole thing. We're not going to go with, like uh, you know front to back. We're not going to go through the whole thing, but we will be talking about the film. But yes, that that scene. Okay. So yeah, that that was pretty much an hour into the movie. Yeah. Um, like, I'm done. That was where I took a whiz. Mm. Um, but as I said, I tried my best to replicate the theater experience by. Um, having like treats on the on my desk yeah. um, I had I had a coffee um, my neighbors were going ape shit upstairs like they normally do um, and also I made it a point to not pause the film oh. at any point even when I went to go take a piss okay because um, you knew you knew what was going to happen in that scene I, I, maybe I mean I, I did re-examine the film after the fact like but for the first time viewing I kind of wanted to try to see like get into Kyle's headspace, like try to understand, and yeah, I, I don't blame you. I mean, my bladder tapped out. <laughs> it said, "You gotta go." <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I intended uh, to go see this in the theater. Uh, unfortunately, I was unable to. I wanted to see it with the girlfriend, but scheduling conflicts, any any number of excuses, so it didn't happen. Also, my TV has apparently shitty Wi-Fi or something, so I wasn't able to even watch it on the big screen. Oh, no. I know. That really fucking sucked. Jeez. Um, but, yeah, there's some quirks to the uh, the imagery in this film that I'm curious, like, what it would look like on a big screen. Because on a little one, I was like, oh, dear God, no. <laughs> like, like that's not right. <laughs> like, what the fuck happened to the movie? <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, where do we go from there, Kyle? Like, so, do you have anything else to say about Reeves as a director? No, I, I think that he, for me, it's a very limited filmography. It's only three films that I've seen. He does have one that let me in that I just did not have any interest at the time. I think it's a vampire movie. It's a remake, yeah. Yeah, I've never watched it, but I've, I've heard good things about yeah, it. Yeah, I've heard the original is very good, and I've heard, I haven't heard anything bad about his take on it. So I'm sure it's fine, but the, the key point I guess I want to emphasize is that Everything I mentioned about what I know from his movies prior to this one, I carried, I carried into this one, and I think it helped me a lot in terms of like easing any frustrations that may have bubbled up because I expected it. Where I was like, this movie's not going to give me what I want necessarily, and I'm going to see that coming. It's like it's like getting hit, but knowing it's coming as opposed to getting completely just cold clocked or something. It's like it's not a sucker punch. I, I came into it knowing. Not necessarily going to be some swerves, but there's going to be some letdowns. Mm. Um, I think that helped me quite a bit. But I could totally see this playing out like a, a Last Jedi type situation with some people where it's just like, this movie didn't give me, any, it didn't deliver anything. And I was like, ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I got to the other side not getting much. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we give a plot rundown real quick. Uh, that's the next thing. Uh, so, uh, Batman has only been Batmaning for about two years, and apparently he is suffering suffering from crippling depression from his parents dying 20 years ago. Um, and yeah, he's only been Batman for a little bit. We got a couple of villains in town. Um, 
We've got the Riddler running around. Uh, we've got the Penguin. We got Falcone. Yeah, so Batman has to stop uh, the Riddler's master plan, which might be the, the one of the dumbest master plans, uh, I think, that I've seen for a Batman. I think that might be semi-intentional. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, anyway, that's kind of the rundown. Mary Mishaps and Sue. Mary Mishaps and Sue. And Catwoman's there, too. Yeah, as is as is usual the devil is very 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 much in the details Mm -hmm. um kyle mentioned a couple very very key points in there that um this is actually like name dropped in the film like they actually say the phrase like two years or year two basically um which is a comic that i mentioned it last week when we talked about batman mask of the phantasm it's not a very good comic but it is a part of the batman chronology that that does have a certain identity it has a certain vibe to it robin wouldn't show up until year three but year year two had some shit like the long halloween uh, is a very famous story uh, from year two of batman that uh, is often referenced in film uh, mm-hmm. most noticeably in the dark knight and in this film um it's actually very funny because uh, apparently matt reeves um he was instructed by jeff loeb um, who is the author of The Long Halloween and many other Batman tales. Um, also Hush, which is also name-dropped in this film. Um, so I think it's very funny that uh, the student would kind of acknowledge the master. The teacher's become the master. Yeah, uh, kind of similar to George Lucas and, and uh, Irvin Kirshner, actually, Ugh. where uh, Kirshner was his instructor, as far as I remember. Best Star Wars director, by the yeah, way. I mean, the master. <laughs> Robocop 2 ain't half bad either. Yeah. It's got some. I'm, yeah. He's, I'm he's the number two having guy. trouble. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's great. It's the finest GIF I have ever manufactured. It really is. Uh, um,. But yeah, oh, and by the way, and there is a little bit, there. there's a deleted scene of the Joker, but we do, I do like how the Joker is introduced at the end of this film. You don't realize who it is until you've, unless you've seen that deleted scene, probably. Or if you're smart enough, you can kind of piece together, I'm like, I bet that's probably the Joker. Um, and I know who they've cast for it. I don't know if you've seen him in anything. Yeah. Killing of Sacred Deer Kid. Yeah, I, I know his face, because how yeah. can you fucking forget it? And yeah, I, I've seen that deleted scene. And as much as I do love that kid, I don't know how his Joker is going to play out in the presumably the next movie or the last one, whenever it happens. Very uh, is it Ke- Keoghan? For sure, or some Irish, some Irish kid. Very very Keegan Kogan. Yeah, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, yes, uh, he plays unnamed prisoner. Hey, that's a fun connection. Killing of a sacred deer. He's in there with Colin Farrell. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and they're both Irish, as far as I know. Yeah, correct. Um, and actually, he's one of those actors of which... This is how you can tell uh, the MCU and superhero movies in general have uh, been around a little too long. Mm. Is uh, We're starting to get a glut of actors who are double-dipping. Mm-hmm. He's in Eternals, yeah. Yes, he is. Um, and Zoe Kravitz, I believe, has played uh, Catwoman in the Lego Batman movie by, oh, nice. by like voice. Uh, there's numerous actors who have done other gigs and other comic book franchises from the other end of the aisle and whatnot so it's, it's getting very complicated um but yeah in terms of plot this movie is very simple um but it, from a structural standpoint this movie is almost kind of a nightmare um seemingly intentional though i don't think it's i don't think it's i don't think it's due to negligence i, I don't think this is a lazy effort i think i think it's intentionally off kilter and kind of muddled mm. like I, uh, we'll, we'll get to this you want to get into a fucking now <laughs> well we can get to, well, we got the 
Is that are we, is that falling under the blanket of the plot? <sighs> it's it's a whole can of worms, man. Um, yeah, I mean, why not? The next thing is the production design, and then we get into the characters and stuff, so we might as well talk about the plot. Okay, so we did an experiment this time around, folks, where uh, we both took notes, and uh, we shared them with each other. Yeah. Normally, we keep them to ourselves, but this time around, Kyle made it. He drafted a document, and he actually shared his, his thought process on paper for me to examine, and... Um, I had a lot of fun reading that, by the way. Um, it's very clear, unlike mine. Uh, mine is very detail-oriented and confusing. Very, uh, no, yours is very linear. It's like, what is happening in the film? Like, I know exactly what's happening in the yes. film. Yes, uh, it's a it's a roadmap for me mine to, is to emo- revisit. Mine is emotional. <laughs> my, my emotions come out in my... You, you can hear Kyle sighing in yeah. his nose. <laughs> um, but one thing that I noticed was... Um, well, other than the frustration, <laughs> was... Uh, Kyle makes a lot of references to uh, Seven. Yeah. The film Seven. Very um, much. Specifically, the film Seven. Yeah. Um, care to elaborate? Yeah. Well, I mean, from it's it's no secret from the trailers. Uh, I think there was like other people on the internet might have no, like mentioned like it kind of looks like Seven. The aesthetic of Gotham and just the just the actual lighting of the film is very reminiscent of Seven, where it's it's just a dark film, and there's certain characters in this movie well the riddler's apartment in particular um and the riddler himself are kind of like a i don't know kind of like a john doe a little bit just like a kind of a crazy guy who's holed up in an apartment and he's writing way too much literally he is john doe in that he's got so many notebooks full of stuff and batman goes straight to one of the you gotta look at this one this one's good <laughs> How the fuck did you find that, dude? Like, there's no way. Hey, Gordon, check this shit check, out. Check this one out. I mean, he's got... If there is a piece of the wall that is showing, it, it, it there is just writing all over. Like, yes. it, yeah, it's way too much stuff. He, he's got a lot internally. He is trying to get out. Yes. Um, which is kind of like the John Doe character, and he's also crazy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just the aesthetic is very uh, just very reminiscent of Seven. Yes, uh, I, I think that's inarguable at this point. Um, there is a very, very similar aesthetic in that it's it's seemingly a Gotham that largely at night, but in general seems to be just like in perpetual downpour. Yeah, um, it's a very dark, moody aesthetic. Of, and the reason why I'm, I'm hammering you about this seven point is is a David Fincher. I mean, it's a. Fincher-esque yeah. aesthetic that we're dealing with, but the movie that came to my mind wasn't Seven; it was Zodiac. Ooh, really? One hundred percent. That's what. That's I couldn't get that that out of my head. Interesting. In fact, it is about as long as Zodiac. It's longer <laughs> than Zodiac. Um, and if I'm being one hundred percent honest, I may as well just throw it out there. I actually prefer Zodiac. Like I've oh, seen to, to Seven. Yeah. Oh, it's, so I've watched Zodiac a dozen times. I love Zodiac. Yeah, but um, what I'm getting at here, and like, I, sorry to get into this so deep so early but um i i wrote a note here um forest for the trees okay was one of the concepts that really i it was like a earworm it was like i couldn't get similar to the soundtrack of the film i couldn't get out of my head and and in fact i like borked part of my brain (laughs) thinking about this like I, i was really stressed coming into this recording so i hope it turns out okay but forest for the trees i noticed a theme wherein there's a lot of things... Our characters are frequently very, very wrong in this film. Yeah. But they're often very assertive in th- in that they're correct. Yeah, that's pretty American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
that that's fast forwarding to some of the shit at the end of this fucking movie but um very american yes but but the point i'm driving at here is that batman and people in his orbit like they just seem to get guided by the nose frequently and it, it reminded me very very much of the investigation process in zodiac mm -hmm. where, that's true, yeah. where part of what's so entrancing about that movie is that you get drawn into this the thought process of the characters in the narrative like you, you start thinking like them and you start wanting them to be right yeah and they're not and they're, they're not yes seven is very like for me set my my coming back to seven was very much the aesthetic which don't get me wrong i had no problem with the with i actually love this gotham nothing wrong with the aesthetic but you're absolutely right because seven is very much I want them to find this. They're going to work for it a little bit, but at no point are they wrong. It's a manhunt film, yeah. whereas Zodiac has all these like ciphers and all these... There's a lot going on. Borderline yeah. riddles and, yeah. and all these investigative procedures that are going vexing into, uh, and like frustrating. And, dealing with red tape, trying to talk to other jurisdictions. Yeah. Well, and not only that, a lot of theories, quote theories, yeah. that are strongly believed in and unfortunately end up being wrong, but because you're so invested in the process, part of you tricks yourself into thinking, oh, that could be right. Well, like under the right circumstances, that could be right. Like the penguin could totally be involved in this. It's like, he's not though, you're wrong. Cop work in the 70s, we weren't dealing with DNA evidence, so what are you supposed to do? Well, there? that's the other part of that movie that's so <laughs> amazing is that there's so many problems in that movie that would be just a light switch in this in in today's reality where because of the technology afforded to us it's it, just like yeah that would be fucking easy <laughs> that, that was a contender for one of my drinking movies that is one of my favorite movies to put on after i've had a couple glasses of wine it, it's it's a good one but anyway but yeah I, I, we i guess we can get into it in more detail at some point but really this was important for me to get out this has been festering under my skin <laughs> it, it's just this it reminded me so much of Zodiac, and in fact, the the, the attire that mm. the Riddler wears. And uh, am I wrong? In rem I could be misremembering uh, because I, I'm not a true crime guy. Uh -huh. uh, I don't really listen to the podcast. I don't watch the shows. It's not my bag. Uh, By the way, real quick, I think Donnie Wahlberg is doing a fucking true crime podcast. Oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Everybody is. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, all the kids are probably not giving a shit, hanging out on Twitch and TikTok and yeah. stuff. While, while all of us olds listen to Donnie Wahlberg talk about true crime. He comes up on, on, on Google as American singer-songwriter. He doesn't even come up as actor. Fast food prior proprietor? Uh, <laughs> Wahlbergers. Um, but yeah, uh, it... I'm not a true crime guy, so I could be misremembering. But um, did Zodiac put on a funny voice, like like a Daffy Duck or something, during I, a phone call or something? Some serial killer at some point. I'm pretty sure I remember someone doing like a Donald Duck voice or something. Uh, my knowledge of the Zodiac is very much limited to that film. Same here. Uh, and I don't recall him ever doing that in there. He very much was just like, eh, I'm say it. Well, um, I'm pretty sure I. I I'm, my wires are crossed here, but I seem to re recall some serial killer putting on like a Donald Duck voice it's or possible. something. Or maybe it was a movie or something I saw. Maybe like Black Christmas or one of those. Not not but not Black Christmas. Yeah. That was that was creepy on the are phone. You, you're thinking of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, Christopher, <laughs> Christopher Lloyd at the end of that. Point is, there's a scene in here where well, Paul Dano puts on a Daffy Duck. Uh, a, a lift. He looks. He does very much look like the Zodiac. 
and his his character kind of is kind of zodiac like from what i gathered from that movie yeah that, that was like a a small part of it but the main point i wanted to emphasize was just the the way the narrative plays out I feel like it's intentionally filled with swerves and speed bumps because we, the audience, are used to seeing a Batman story play out a certain way, and Matt Reeves is wanting to take us down a totally different road where he's like, no, this is a Batman who's two years in. He knows some shit, not all the shit. Not that much. And he's really leaning pretty hard on this Gordon guy to, like, help him out a lot. (laughs) And it's like, and also he isn't fucking talking to Alfred. So he's not really, he's not seeking counsel. He's not a brilliant investigative mind at this point. He's good at fucking children's riddles. Point is he's not always right. And that's something that is very uncommon for a Batman story. That's true. Uh, Both in comics and in film, especially in film, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, production. Yeah. Love this Gotham. Uh, <laughs> great Gotham. Great. Uh, it kind of the, the beginning shots of Gotham that we see, like it looks like Seattle. Uh, <laughs> like Seattle. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, we don't have. Well, we do have an L now. We do have like an, an elevated light rail. <laughs> they are well the the tents and all the stuff. Like it was kind of yeah. Yeah, it, uh, Kyle's unfortunately not wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was also rainy too. That's the other thing. But uh, no, I love this Gotham. Um, it feels big, congested. It feels like muggy. Like I just feel like if you're inside anywhere, it's just muggy. Um, it's just gross and grimy. I I really like the. I, I realized something that that's something that I like in films and why I can just enjoy like The Abyss or Alien, um, or like. Or like Das Boot, where it's just like the like the world we build, like the interior. How, how is this supposed to feel? And this very much feels like what I would expect Gotham to feel like. Okay, so I, I'm sorry, my brain works this way. It's making it's making focusing the conversation very very difficult for me. <laughs> but um, so yes, I, I agree. I I I I was really taken with the way this movie looks. Um, there are some amazing shots. And by the way, our cinematographer is the same fella. Uh, who did Dune uh, very recently. Um, He also pioneered the technology um, utilized in the Mandalorian. Oh, really? Um, They call it the volume. Basically, have you, do you know anything about this, Kyle? No. Okay, well, let me, let me introduce this because this is the kind of shit that maybe I pop for because probably like, that's fucking stupid. I hate that. (laughs) Does it look good? Okay. Does it have puppets? (laughs) No, unfortunately there are no puppets. Um, So the volume, it's the name of the actual set. I forget what the, I think it's called like Stagecraft or something, but it's a technology that they pioneered and started using in The Mandalorian. It's digital sets. So basically you construct a three-dimensional CGI environment and it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a round stage that our actors perform on and they can move the camera freely and the background scenery will move with the camera. Okay. So it's a digital set where you can place the camera at, and move the camera as you please and the background will actually move in time, like in real time. Um, and also, if the, the, the sets are projected onto the walls via LEDs so the actors can see the environment play out around them. They can't interact with it. Like but they a hologram can, almost. But they can see where things are in space relative to them. Okay. So like a, a hut on in Tatooine or something, they can see it over there. They know it's there. It's not just like in some like nebulous space away from it. It's like, no, it is 10 feet away from you. You can't touch it, but it's there. Anyway, Greg Fraser. 
as the fellow's name. I think he's an Aussie. Um, could be wrong on that, but uh, yes, he most recently, I believe, won a uh, Academy Award for Dune, and I think he has as well. He should. Yeah, I think he's got many, many great gigs ahead of him. So mm-hmm. he was a hell of a get for this film. Um, and in terms of lighting and production design, this film is exceedingly handsome. Uh, is like the lighting in particular. There's some highly coordinated shots in this. They're absolutely amazing the color palette all the ambers and red is a very strong element of the color design of the film very very strong by the way um film was shot largely on studios but there's also a lot of live locations um largely in the uk Hmm. um liverpool um and scotland as far as i know okay um and yeah they they make some really good use of the live filming locations um this gotham has a it's it's like this whole movie from like a aesthetic standpoint actually feels like a very good balance between the Burton and the Nolan eras. Yeah, very it's, much. Where it is it's very gothic. It does feel old, but it's also exceedingly modern mm-hmm. at times. So it fits very neatly in between the two. And in, and in terms of like the characterization and like how broad things are, like I have heard people say that like this movie makes the the Nolan era seem kind of goofy. By comparison, I don't necessarily agree with that. Agree with that. Um, But it makes the Schumacher era seem (laughs) goofy. But I think the Schumacher era is goofy on its own. (laughs) I mean, he was the director that was yelling on the set like before every take, like "Remember, we are filming Um, a toy commercial." Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like he was very keenly aware of what he was making. He was making product. Yeah. Um, this movie, though, is an Artur project where uh, apparently Matt Reeves was given like almost 100% creative control uh, behind, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Actually, a really important point that I should have mentioned at the top um, during the production history uh, portion of this discussion. Joker made a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. That That's one of the most important points to carry into this film, is that what Joker is is what the studio knows made them one billion dollars. The movie sucks. I don't know if it <laughs> sucks. Um, I didn't. I did not enjoy it nearly as much as a lot of other people did. Um, I do, but very similar to this film, I do think it has some very valuable ideas, and I do think it's a very handsome film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very pretty to look at at times, and it does have a singular, very, very good performance. It's not exactly bolstered by much around it but joaquin phoenix is excellent in it joaquin phoenix is often the highlight of any film that he's in unfortunately it's also somewhat to the detriment of that as a film because it's a high it's a very indulgent uh production where it's just like we have joaquin phoenix let's put everything we have of him him. put it on his back yeah let's put the entire production on his back and it's like you can tell that he was taking it for a walk and they just kind of like said yeah let's just put that in the movie and hope it works and a billion dollars later it did and the the reason why i'm sharing this is that some of the dna it stands to reason yeah Yeah. the the production this the studio warner brothers absolutely want part of that to find its way into their next batman project because that made a billion fucking dollars so 
social commentary. Let's put let's that put in. That let's put that in the movie. <laughs> like, like there, there's elements of it that found its way into this one. But that movie suffers from what this movie suffers from is that we have interesting themes that we're putting up, but we're not really develop. We're not developing them very that's, well. That's that's the weird part of, of this movie and and Joker. Joker. Um, there is, are great themes in Joker. It's stupid the way it <laughs> plays out, but it, it, they are interesting themes very much. Yeah, uh, that's also a similar problem to this movie is that there are fantastic ideas at work. But, but it's a tentpole studio film that we can't take too many chances exactly, with. Exactly. I was gonna say there's the counter is that they're like it's like a it's like a college professor. It's like I'm gonna throw out these themes. You discuss. Yeah. 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 It's very very similar. It's yeah. like I'm just gonna leave this in the room, but yeah. I'm not gonna put a hat on it. Like I'm not I'm not going to take it home mm-hmm. because there's a part of me that after my initial viewing of the film, not so much upon reexamination, but my initial thought. Like and this is me skipping all the way to the end. Just, I walked away from this movie thinking like, like it, if they had followed through on I think what they were trying to deliver because I'm still not quite certain what they're trying to deliver to oh, deliver oh. because of exactly what Kyle was saying just that of oh, this one yeah okay is this feels like a story that should end with this Batman retiring really he always retires he's like fucking no no he he doesn't like he he quote died in the Nolan ones. Um, and Keaton just kind of trailed off. Like he he was going back to work in the morning or no. that, that evening or whatever. <laughs> Val Kilmer retires and then he comes back. He's like Batman's no more. I don't know. I'll no, do he he chose to remain. He chose to be Batman in that one. Remember that that's the one with the subtext, he, with the Schumacherisms. He throws it back into the closet. He he's he literally pushes the button. No, he flings it wide open and says, "I'm Batman." <laughs> Trevor, he literally takes the, the little remote and he's like, today, Batman is no more. He clicks a little button and his Batman stuff goes down. Uh, Bruce Wayne is going to retire. He plans on retiring. Well, see, you're talking night. about you're talking about like second act shit. You're talking about Spider-Man putting his shit in a trash can. Yeah. That happens in the, mid- that happens in the middle of the movie. That's normal. That's like Rocky Balboa. Says, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to hang it up, Mick. It's like... No, no one's Batman retired. That, he was saying that in Rocky Two, Kyle. There, the have been, there have been six Rocky films. He literally retires in the Nolan Batman. Please don't make him retire in the in this one. Let him just be Batman. It, don't let him. I'm just, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that part of like when I finished the film, part of me was thinking like some of the ideas I was thinking were at work because again, this movie is somewhat nebulous and its intentions it has a lot of ideas it doesn't exactly follow through on them i can respect that to a degree um i was thinking like this kind of feels like this batman should hang it up like it feels it feels like he should just be bruce wayne and be a philanthropist and the city will be better for it well yeah like (laughs) but we don't get more batman movies if he does that i I know that i mean to to counter that upon re-examination i realized oh wait that's not only is the studio very smart in putting a Joker tease yeah. at the end of the movie, from a narrative standpoint, it's also useful in countering exactly what I was thinking just then. It's like, he can't do that because, like, the way we ended Batman Begins, escalation. Yeah. It's, like, his work isn't done. Like, regardless of where the character's at, there's more shit to be done. And it is probably uh, one of the best endings to a Batman movie. It's like there's this new guy, the Joker, and Nolan's like, "You have no idea what's coming. It's gonna be so great." I didn't believe it when I was when I was a teenager. I didn't Oof. believe it. 
no. No, I, I saw the I saw the fucking movie. I saw Batman Begins in the theater, and when they had the card, I was like, oh, they're not gonna do that. Oh, I was like, that's it. Like, I I wasn't as invested in 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 the movie making industry as I am today. Yeah. Jokes on you. But production design, any other uh, things you want to throw out there? No, uh, I think I'm, yeah. Just uh, in general, I think this is an excellent Gotham. Uh, however, it was however it was done. I think they did an excellent job. It's probably my favorite Gotham so far. Yeah, no, I I I was very happy with the look of this movie. Um, it looks excellent, and it feels it it strikes that really awesome balance of feeling lived in. Mm-hmm. Where it's like this feels believable at times. It's very much you know in a way that other Batman movies didn't necessarily strive to do but it but as i said it strikes that really nice balance where the nolan films felt too ordinary at times yeah yeah very much yeah it's, it's like that's too just ordinary. It's, it's chicago it's like yeah. okay <laughs> it's like that's literally wall street <laughs> that, that is one of my gripes that is one of my gripes with the latter two films the first film feels more like gotham the set the other two yeah it, like that's chicago that's new york yeah batman begins had a more mythic vibe to it in general yeah. um and the color palette was different it was kind of unnaturally brown where it yeah. felt like you're in a cave sometimes like it from a production design standpoint, yes, I, I agree with you. But this this one strikes that really nice balance where it's like, I feel like I could live there. I feel like I've been there. But it has that slightly otherworldly quality to it that reminds you it's a fucking movie. Yeah. And we appreciate that. <laughs> well, it's probably a good thing to think that the movie didn't come out during the pandemic because everybody in that city needed to be wearing masks. They were on top of each other. The place was gross. <laughs> um Let's talk about some fun stuff. Let's talk about the Batman suit and gadgets and the character. We're just Batman in general. Yeah, where do you want to start with that? Because well, this is the, the Batman proper. Well, this isn't a super gadgety Batman, in my opinion. He's got his contact lenses, which is a big, which is a big thing. But he doesn't. There, I think there was more dedication in the Nolan Batman to the actual gadgets. But let's start with the suit. I have no idea what the fuck it looks like because this movie is like you could try to turn the contrast up on your TV to see what's happening in this movie, but it it's literally like I do not know what the suit looks like. Oh, I I disagree with that. I, th- I think that's pushing it a little. <laughs> I, I, could, I got I got plenty of clear looks at this fucking thing. Really? Um, and a, a major point of that is this is the Batman that we see the most of any Batman on film, as far as I understand. In terms of screen time, oh yeah, yeah, but it's always at nighttime. I never really not necessarily. I mean, we see him in the daytime. Oh god damn it! I just clicked on CNN. Jesus, <laughs> that's gonna fuck me up. All well, right. there goes your search results. There goes my search results. <laughs> well, shit. It's like when somebody sends me something from the Joe Rogan podcast. I'm like, nope, not opening it. Yeah, uh, I've made that mistake. Uh, um, that's not fucking uh, up my algorithm. I keep getting the worst YouTube ads. <laughs> but the the clearest, crispest picture is CNN. So, well, um, no, this is I, a good I, looking suit. I like this. It's suit. fantastic. It is an excellent suit. It's excellent. I don't think my eyes were drawn to it while I was watching the film. I think I was more focused on like him, like being Batman. I'm like, how's he doing his Batman when he's in when he's in the suit? But yeah, this is an excellent suit. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, we'll come back to that. But yes, in terms of screen time, this is the Batman that we see front and center, big as life and twice as ugly on the screen the most of any other Batman. There's a very good and very important reason for that. Um, but yeah, I, I disagree. I, I got plenty. I got more than enough good looks. In fact, I was sick of looking at this thing. Really? Well, I like it. I love it. 
Oh, okay. But, but yeah. I was like, you also are more of an action figure person too. So I think you're. Not, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not teasing. I'm just like I'm looking. You, I'm looking for points of articulation, Kyle. I'm just like I'm surrounded by. Uh, not surrounded by toys, but there are there are action. They're figures. They're model kits, Kyle. <laughs> there's model kits, but there's also like. I, but I can see why you would be there, more. There are action figures still in the package, sir. That's true. I'm just saying. I can. I, I. I. That makes more sense that you would key in on it and not be able to take your eyes off of it because that's something that you. You're going to be more drawn. Well, to. also one of my favorite things on film is bodies in motion. Mm. I, I love physicality in performance, whether it's violence or just moving. Yeah. Like I, I like watching the way people move. It's one of my favorite things to watch in front of a camera. It's I'm like, with you. It's the earliest stuff I used to film as a kid. I, I don't know where it comes from necessarily. I have terrible posture. I'm clumsy <laughs> as shit. I was like, I'm, I'm not good at any of this stuff, but I. I love watching people move on camera, and um, at a certain point, I was like, "Good fucking god! Like, take the suit off. That thing smells like like ass. <laughs> like, this smells like hot, spicy ass." Well, I mean, he's only two years in. Like, he doesn't he doesn't hate the suit. He, I think there's a there's a comfort to the suit with this character. Okay, so we're gonna get into this now, I guess. Um, as I said, I have too many fucking. Pots. I was gonna say this is a horrible. This is a horrible way for you to break down movies because I feel like you've got. It's all trying to come out. Like, when do I do it? When do I do it? Yeah. I, I, now it, I know why you do such a linear way. This is so, this is so hard for me, Kyle. Well, we're on the suit. So is this suit related? I'll just say, um, the suit does. It has a handcrafted quality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very intentional on the part of the production. The, the director has gone on record saying that's a, something he wanted to convey. Um, he wanted this thing to have the look, and by extension the Batmobile, he wanted everything to kind of look like somewhat believable that a person could manufacture this. Like That makes sense for the Batmobile. With money and tools, like someone could fabricate this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's heavily armored. It's very, very bulky. Uh, it has... Uh, something we haven't seen in a Batman film ever uh, up to this point is uh, it has a neck piece. Oh yeah, as part of the cowl, uh, so the cape and cowl like it has a, a brim around it uh, for like support or something. It, it gives him a high collar look that it's interesting. It's it's visually eye catching. I love the eyeshadow. I think that we've made it. They've been making mistakes not <laughs> having the eyeshadow because it looks so cool when he takes off the mask. It's a. It's kind of funny, like, we see this being addressed piecemeal over, over decades. Over decades. <laughs> over yeah. decades, because it took until 2008 for Batman to be able to turn his neck, mm-hmm. because that was a meme even in the 2000s, that Michael Keaton and Val Kilmer, everybody to be Batman had to turn their whole the body. whole torso, yeah. Um, and it wasn't until Christian Bale and The Dark Knight where he was able to turn his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, finally, in 2022, we actually have a film that directly addresses the eyeshadow <laughs> kyle's putting his hand up did you see the clip of robert pattinson talking about talking to ben affleck about the suit oh make sure you can crap in it no make sure you can get make sure you can go pee yeah like, make sure you can relieve yourself yeah, he's like it. he's like i told him put a zipper in there something in there so i can go pee yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good <laughs> yeah apparently uh robert pattinson got word that he was uh going to be in the film while he was on the set of tenet oh really and christopher nolan found out through the grapevine. Oh, that's cool. Just like, that's awesome. Yeah, that'd be. He's cool. like, well done, chop. <laughs> well say, done. If there's anybody that's gonna tell you you're gonna be the new Batman, it'd be pretty cool to be Christopher Nolan. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, he had to audition in Val Kilmer's suit. Oh, really? Because I was the only one that could fit him. Because I think he might have a different build to Ben Affleck, 
and he's probably a little taller than he's, Michael Keaton. He's more of a string bean. Yeah. He's... Yeah. So that was the only one they had. So that was his audition suit. Anyway, yeah. uh, coming back to the Batman suit, yeah. uh, it's heavily armored. Um, the the forearm pieces, I could not, for the life of me, figure out what those were supposed to be. They're like metallic rods. That they certainly serve a purpose in that they're very useful for defense. But I was thinking that they were going to be used as tools, like throwing instruments or maybe lock picks or something. Um, but they never come into play. But they look savage. Like they, they look like they can deflect a, a blunt metal instrument, and they look like they can, you know, smash a face. It, it does look like, yeah, they look like they would, uh, they would shoot you. Uh, there's a Mummy Returns, a Noxuna Moon uh, costume jumpsuit. Excuse me. Yeah. Oh dear! Yeah, that, right. that leaves nothing to the imagination. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, if memory the, serves, that was mostly paint. It <laughs> was, Trevor. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah I'm um, just taking in the suit as we're talking here. Yeah, um, the suit that Kyle couldn't see. Um, uh, but yeah, it's what were it, we talking about? <laughs> it, it it deflects bullets in the spoon. So, yeah, which uh, is an important thing for the bat suit to do. Well, it's it's funny because like previous bat suits would like absorb bullets and yeah. stuff. Like Michael Keaton would get shot and he'd fall down, but he'd get better. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd get pretty fucked up from it though. Um, and Christian Bale like. It didn't do so hot against dogs. Which it, doesn't make any sense if the, if the suit's good against everything else. Yeah, it, it, I don't remember if he gets shot. He gets shot by Two-Face, but he gets better. So it, it, it does handle guns. It doesn't handle knives very well. Though. No, it's Ta- awful. Talia Shanks and pretty she good. She gets, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this one... Uh, he's fucking RoboCop. Yeah, uh, he gets shot a lot. <laughs> I like in a bat suit. That's yeah. I, it makes him more terrifying because he doesn't have superpowers. He's just he knows karate's. <laughs> uh, so he needs something that withstands bullets, and it makes for those like that one the the Darth Vader scene basically. Yeah. Well, it also extends into the cinematography and the editing. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell they're making it a point, and this this contributes to the pace of the film as a whole. They're shooting. They're shooting things like barroom brawls or by by what you would call like hong kong standards for fight choreography where it's like we're going to frame people from at least the knees up into their head we're not going to do extreme close-ups we're not going to do crazy mtv cuts we're going to pull the frame back and show you the the grim reality of of the weight um and the effort expended in all these attacks and whatnot um and as a result, if you're going to shoot fight scenes, group fight scenes, with a guy wearing a heavy suit of armor, he's going to look a little bit clumsy, and he's not going to have the agility to avoid getting shot, yeah. which happens, he gets shot a lot in this fucking movie. He should be way more ripped, because if he's kicking ass in this suit, that's got to be heavy, for one. Uh, just like just mobility, like just trying to, trying to punch people. I mean, that's a lot of weight to be shirking around. Apparently, the bat suit was very, very uh, agile. Really? Like, apparently, Pattinson was doing, like, somersaults in it on no the first day he put it on. That's pretty cool. And we I do mean... have a shot of him running down a hallway in it. Um, I think they had more than one uh, version of it, though. Like, maybe they have what they call in, like, makeup effects, like, the hero sculpt of something, which is the one that they use for close-ups. And then they have, like, the stunt version of it that's stripped down a little bit. It's like the equivalent of the guy wearing the Godzilla costume, wearing just the legs, for the shots where just the legs are in the frame because good fucking god putting on that whole thing is a nightmare um but yeah apparently it was the most flexible of all bat suits constructed nice. and uh kyle please look up a uh, author uh an artist for me an illustrator okay um, he's a uh, 
comic book artist that um, oh my god he's incredible he was not uh, he did not contribute to the production he was not cited in any way however I think they most certainly did utilize some of his his drawings as reference Lee Bermejo uh, his version of the bat suit to me is somewhat oh. reminiscent of this one but I love his art <laughs> his proportions of what a human being should be are ridiculous <laughs> like, well, well that's that's like that's shirtless <laughs> Bruce Wayne <laughs> he is a fucking he is a, he's a comic book artist it's neither not known for their realistic proportions yeah, no. um, but his his heavy leathery bat suit uh, to me is somewhat reminiscent of of the design we got for this film. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially the 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 abs. They're very pointy. Yeah, and it's a triangular. It's impossible to have this conversation without mentioning the uh, the Arkham series of video games. Uh, most Kyle hasn't played them, but no. um, basically, uh, I've seen them played. Rocksteady, a game production studio, they made a, a trilogy. Uh, I believe there's a, a continuation of the series coming up uh, of the Arkham games, uh, Arkham Asylum, City origins um and arkham knight i think is the last one arkham knight he's he's like advanced the suit to the point that it's almost like an iron man suit uh, it's like techno batman so this is like a nice happy medium in between that but long story short uh, i adore the design of this um robert pattinson his his profile his face his facial proportions are so unique um that it's I don't know. It, it's well suited to doing a masked performance because he's he's always identifiable as as Pattinson. He's too identifiable, actually. Uh, it, yeah, <laughs> you're right. To the point where I'm like, Gordon, how do you not see that that's him? It's- yeah, there's some shit later on in the movie that's like, what? <laughs> like, hang on, you didn't know? <laughs> uh, let's uh, we'll, we'll finish up with the character of Batman after oh, gadgets. Let's talk about gadgets. I want to talk about the cave and the Batmobile. But okay. I think uh, yeah, what ga- I didn't really see too many gadgets. Okay, so he has a grappling hook uh, that comes out via like a, a wrist. Uh, it's like a wrist propelled instrument okay. that he uses. He uses it uh, very similar to Michael Keaton in Batman '89. He doesn't yeah. shoot it in anyone's fucking shoulder or anything. But <laughs> at this point, there has to be a grappling hook that's on the go. Yeah, yeah, that that's known. Like this one absolutely has a grappling hook. Um, he has a bat a singular batarang, mm. and it's actually embedded in his chest emblem. Yeah, it's a it's a goofy little detail that I don't exactly know why they designed it that way, but. If you look at the design of the suit, it's like, that has to do something. Yeah. <laughs> and then they answer the question in the third act of the film. It's like, oh, it's a batarang. Yeah. And he hasn't used those uh, throughout the entire movie. So there we go. He has a batarang. Yeah. Um, he has a Batmobile, which I guess we'll talk about in detail. Really? Um, he, has mean... the, he has the contact lenses that can record uh, video footage. Um, and he, there's a, a last-minute thing that uh, i'm sure every comic book nerd under the sun is has has like flashing green lights going off in their head um at the very end of the movie um well during the it. during the end of the action basically um he injects himself with something he oh has, yes i didn't uh, catch that he has a port like a like a shunt basically like built into his suit Adren- like, just an adrenaline shot i'm guessing it's a green substance that in in our world we would assume adrenaline in dc comics and batman comics venom i mean obviously that's what i was thinking is that venom yeah i mean venom wasn't a thing in the nolan films it was certainly a thing in batman robin Uh, yeah (laughs) 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 
What was that guy's name? Jeep Swenson? Which one? The, oh, yeah, Jeep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was like, which the, the, the little guy was the guy from Seven. When Before he gets, when he's on the slab at first, it's the guy from Seven. But after that, it's, yes. Yeah, he turns wrestling. into fucking Jeep. Yeah. <laughs> Quite the transformation. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I can't help but think that maybe. Give me Bane. Give me a better version of Bane. That'd be pretty cool. There was also a comic called Batman Venom where he got addicted to Venom. Nice. It was a really good story, actually. Well, this... It's it's a little clunky. There's not it's not a hundred percent a good comic, but it's a, it starts out really well. Where basically Batman encounters a situation where uh, a girl drowns because he's physically incapable of moving. I think it's a stone. Uh, like she's like the water's filling up, and she he he's he, as strong as Batman is, he can't do it. Gotcha. So he starts juicing basically, and okay. then he has to go cold turkey at the end. Because it was the 90s. Well, he's a, he, he is a sad sack Batman, so I could see him getting hooked on some kind of substance. So Yeah, so I, that's a thing that uh, franchises do these days. Like, every every franchise under the sun does this these days when it comes to managing these vast properties. Is they just, like, throw shit out there for the Redditors to, to go nuts about, and then these studios monitor the message boards and see what's biting. Like, do the people want to see this? So, like, <laughs> Godzilla King of the Monsters did that, too, with the Oxygen Destroyer. They have the Oxygen Destroyer is featured in the film, and people who are Godzilla super fans like myself know oh. that that leads to the creation of, of a character, so Destroyer. But, you know, that, that was like a potential thread that they're just throwing out there. Uh, but yeah, in terms of gadgets, uh, I don't know. He has gadgets, but it's not extensive. Was it, yeah, I was gonna say there's a lot more. There's a lot more energy spent on it in the Nolan Batman. Like that's kind of the thing. It was like, what's the gadgets for this movie? We got. There's got to be something new. Um, and then like the Burton Batman, they're like it's just standard stuff, um, really. And same with the Schumacher Batman. We just get new vehicles. I think at the end of those films, Schumacher Batman. It was very toyetic. Yeah, like the entire production. <laughs> like like yes. I said, the entire point I of mean, those movies was to sell Happy Meals. Literally have a Mister Freeze uh, toy <laughs> from that movie. Yeah, so they had tons of gadgets which was also kind of a wink and a nod to the adam west era of the yes, character very much where it's like he just had you know shark prope- shark repellent spray yeah. and shit like bat bat and then word basically that, that the schumacher batman were very much back to camp like yeah that, i mean that's the that's, that's the one where they click their heels together and they have ice skates yeah. you know so he had tons of gadgets but they were just like throwaway gags basically i like the batmobile in this movie um i it's not my fa- my favorite is the the uh the the oh god damn it the tim burton batmobiles those are my favorite um personally uh because we i had those little toys like the little hot wheels toys of them and they were those things were heavy too those things were serious die cast um i do like how the batmobile is introduced in this movie it's yes. pretty funny uh <laughs> and it does look pretty badass actually like it's it's very simple but yeah yeah uh and bear in mind uh neither of us are car guys nope yeah, uh, Kyle and I are not car people. No. But yes, I actually agree. Um, I quite like this Batmobile. <laughs> um, its utility in the film is pretty impressive. It's like somebody took one of the pod racing uh, engines and then slapped some wheels on it. And yeah, it, it fucking goes. Well, and that that extends into the character a little bit, but we'll get there when we get there. But yes, this Batmobile, as far as I know, is it's like a... It's largely like a Dodge Charger or something. Something like that. But it, it's like the the body kit of like a Charger, but it's like it's like an un, it's like an unfinished uh like an unfinished car almost. 
Yeah, it yeah, it, it looks like the front half, like the the aesthetically pleasing half of the vehicle, like like the business end of it is is just an engine basically. It's 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 an engine with a front basically, yeah. um, and it also has a little bit of a Thomas Jane Punisher vibe. Like, I'm looking at it like it's the Thomas Jane Punisher car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, complete with like handcrafted shields and whatnot. In yeah. fact, like the the bulletproofness mm-hmm. of this Batmobile is questionable. Yeah. Um, it did not exactly hold up to that micro Uzi burst. Yeah. Um, a couple more rounds, like if he had one more clip on him, yeah, I don't think Pattinson would have left. He would have got him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah uh, the utility of the Batmobile is is incredible. Like like it it moves. Uh, it has a presence in the film. Its introduction. You can tell that they like really relish the opportunity to showcase this thing, um, and it's it's like one of those few instances where I think, as subversive as Matt Reeves's method can often be with his narratives, I think even he realized like, oh, we can't we can't let people down with the Batman. Yeah, it's a, it's like Joe Rogan will be upset. <laughs> he won't go. He won't endorse the film. Seriously, <laughs> um, no. But it, it, the Batmobile is interesting because it it. it Cars are like the least one of the least important things for me to consider when I'm watching something, um, but for Batman, it's kind of one of those things. I'm like, I just need you to check that box. I need you to show me that you put in some kind of effort into making the Batmobile cool for this movie. And I don't think there is an instance where it's been bad, uh, in my in my opinion. Yeah, I think the Schumacher ones, while being aesthetically the loudest of all of them i think they're the least memorable that i disagree the one from batman forever i the one that lights up i had the toy of it that's why it's very memorable that helps. for me yeah well also that's your batman it's my like, batman. that's your yes. childhood batman i you know like looking back i'm not crazy about the aesthetic of the 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 nolan batmobile it, well it's quote batmobile it, it's the tumbler it's the tumbler but it makes sense for those movies it makes like it makes sense because it's supposed to be more real life like nobody has magical powers <laughs> like magical abilities in the nolan movies well and they provide an entire like nolan likes his toys for yeah. sure like like a lot of a lot of those batman movies are tech porn like just yeah. like gadget porn and whatnot i can't believe this man hasn't made a james bond movie yet dude he's not dead yet and we been, have we they have, have been asking him for years i wouldn't be surprised if he does it because we are about two years away from them announcing another james bond yeah it, it has to happen it's going to happen he's, he's been tiptoeing around it like tenant is it's about a secret organization like the opening of the Dark Knight Rises may as well be a Bond opener. <laughs> I can promise you one thing. There will be a new James Bond. They will start that up again. And I guarantee there will be a lot of problems with whoever they cast as James Bond. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to be a white dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I, I think that's where we're, we're, where we're headed yeah. with that. And yeah, uh, a, lot of, a lot of very a lot loud of people, people are not going to be happy about that. not going to be happy about that. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. yourselves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, we were robbed of Idris Elba as 007. Yeah, he moves old. funny. He's too old. He moves funny. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm telling you, man, he moves funny. <laughs> He's too tall. No, he just, he moves goofy. Like, I've seen it. I've seen him try to do action. He moves goofy. <laughs> He's old now. Uh, and, and he and he's one of those people that runs towards fame, and you can't do that if you're James Bond. you got to be cool. Yeah. Be cool. <laughs> oh, I love. Uh, uh, so... I don't know if we don't have a cave yet, or if this is supposed to be the, the, the more or less the cave, because Batman isn't in a mansion, he's in a penthouse in this movie, from what I gathered. But I like, this This cave made the most sense for me. 
where it's like he's got basically like a wall that's hiding down in the subway like some part of the subway that's not running anymore like train station so he's like taking a motorcycle down underground and like going back in there and then it's hidden and I'm like that actually makes sense for uh, Batwoman because or for the uh, for the cave because the Schumacher Batman is just like uh, there's a tunnel kind of like kind of just kind of out there um, but I just want uh, is this officially a cave? Uh, I mean, it it serves the same purpose it as does, a bat yeah. cave. Um, it does have bats in it, computer computer rendered or otherwise. There yeah. are bats in there, and it's it's not quite a cave. It's it's the Wayne Terminus is the location. It's oh, okay. Apparently, an unused rail system, um, but below the penthouse building, um, as as Kyle had pointed out, <laughs> I couldn't help but think of Ninja Turtles too. Mm. Um, as soon as I saw it, or do you remember that at all? I barely remember Ninja Turtles too. Yeah, you're more of a Ninja Turtles 1 person. Very right? much, yeah. Okay, well, I watched the hell out of Ninja Turtles 2 when I was a kid. Both of Makes them. Makes sense, yeah. But mostly 2 because, you know, little kid. Yeah. Um, but their their new home as a kid was the coolest fucking thing ever. Where it's, a, it's an abandoned subway platform covered in cobwebs, but it has, like, this old gothic look to it with, like, chandeliers and shit. And it very much reminded me of that. Um, it's interesting because it does look like a work in progress where there's workbenches everywhere, but nothing looks particularly well organized. Yeah. Um, and there's like an elevator entry that Alfred can come down via. Um, and yeah, the access to it is just kind of like he rides his motorcycle down a flight of stairs and then heads down a subway tunnel. And presumably there's some sort of like locked security gate or something you have to get through. But it is very utilitarian. Um, and it does have like a lived-in quality to it. It's not displayed very often. Like we don't really get to live in the Batcave very much in this yeah. movie, but it does feel like, you know, it, we are going to be continuing this franchise. So I wouldn't be surprised if it expands or maybe even they uproot it and take it to a totally different location, kind of similar to how Nolan did. Yeah, was there? Uh, I don't remember. Batman Begins. So he definitely finds the cave. Does he put a computer down in there in that cave? Oh, shit. I don't even think he does that. I was going to say, it wouldn't make sense because there's too much moisture down there. I'm like, you're going to ruin that monitor. Like, no, I mean, they do build the Batcave in there. Yeah. It's just, it's not part of that movie. Yeah. It, they end the they end that movie talking about making it in mm. the southeast corner of the rebuilt Wayne Manor. Okay. Uh, so we don't get a proper Batcave until uh, the Underground the Railroad. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> Let's talk about the the fucking bat like the Bruce Wayne slash Batman character. I think. <sighs> Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you want me to start? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna be negative. <laughs> oh well, you got to start then, because you. I mean, you got to get it out if you come at me with I, that tone. <laughs> I don't understand this Batman. Um, and not that not that he's supposed to be understood. I would say that the Michael Keaton Batman, his motivation is. It's not really on his sleeve. Like he's just kind of Batman in those movies. Like you, he's going after evil because his parents were killed by well, apparently in the first one, Joker. Basically, you know how would, you know how an ordinary person like <laughs> wakes up in the morning and eats breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Batman. He can't. Re- I'm Batman. <laughs> and I mean, and and the Schumacher Batman. That's a whole other thing about why Batman's Batman, because Batman's not even really Batman in those movies. Batman's a, a euphemism for something else. Uh, <laughs> at least in the Forever one. Well, you yeah. should listen to that episode, yeah. folks. It's uh, a great one. <laughs> but with the Nolan Batman, every step of the way, you know what he's going through and like what he's struggling with as, as, like, as Bruce Wayne and being Batman. I just noticed something watching The Dark Knight. He's a fucking dick to Harvey when they're out to dinner. 
he's just like, oh, you don't know where your jurisdiction is? You should probably know that. And I'm like, it's a straight-up Patrick Bateman, like, fucking asshole move. Um, this Bruce Wayne is not an asshole. Um, he's the exact same when he's Batman and Bruce Wayne. He's not really talkative at all. Like, he doesn't really talk much. He's just kind of mopey and sad for whatever fucking reason. I don't know why. <laughs> well, actually, I, I was curious. Like, I, I, I doubt like I doubt either of us have the answer to this, but I was actually finding it difficult to 100% wrap my head around the circumstances of his parents' death. I think that's I think that's intentionally vague. In I, I know that much. Like I'm not I'm not a complete fucking idiot. I've, oh, no. I've, I've, no. I I know how to watch a fucking movie. <laughs> what what I'm talking about is very specifically like was he there? Did he see it? Did he see the person who pulled the trigger? Because we talk about this very little in this movie, largely because it seems he's unwilling or incapable. But it's like. The way he talks about it, it's like, I'm not positive, like, exactly what happened that night. And as you said, larger aspects of it are yeah. deliberately nebulous. Like, like, it's very specific, and actually that, I like that part, where there's some, there's some, some of that subversion shit that goes on, where it's like, you're expecting to go down a certain road, you're expecting to get answers, and the movie denies you that. Well, The Joker, I, the, the movie The Joker, we touch on... Bruce, uh, Bruce Wayne's dad kind of being an asshole. Like, I remember his dad's kind of an asshole in that. Um, which was kind of funny. I mean, that's like part of why the Joker doesn't really. It, it makes sense why later the Joker's not really going to like him very much. Because uh, yeah. I've had interaction with your pops. Yeah, um, we, we can confirm that these movies are not part of the same universe. Not the same universe, but I like the. I like Thomas Wayne being shady. That makes it a little more interesting. Not like my dad, like, like. Like we just have this reverence for like my dead parents. They were the greatest people in the whole world. Yes, I mean I have no problem with that. That's fine. Yeah. But this is a, this is an interesting like let, let's add them in a little bit and give them a different angle. Okay, well, to to attack this thing head on, I think to to try to to try to get to get you to understand the character the way I do, um, I think he's frozen. I think he's still ten years old. I think that's the Bruce Wayne we have in this movie, and I don't think. God, there wasn't a sex scene. Whew. Well, that's why we don't have that. Is because he's he's prepubescent. Yeah. It's because he doesn't. He's not there yet, and it's because he's frozen in that moment of yeah. trauma. He's very much like a teenager with his uh, his relationship with Alfred. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's a pet, he's a petulant child. Yeah. He's, he's antisocial and he's a child. And on top of that, I think oh, that makes more sense. I think there are some deliberate visual illusion, like visual elements in the film. Yeah like images presented to us that are meant to convey the sense that over the course of this narrative year two of batmaning is him like becoming bruce wayne yeah. rather than batman because the reason why we see him in the suit so often is because batman's his armor batman's his projection mm -hmm. it's the it's like his imaginary friend that he calls to the fore to, to stand in his place to shield him from the, his, the scary stuff. It's his child's blanket. Yeah, <laughs> to quote the legendary Nick Cage. <laughs> it made no it made no sense to me in that movie, at that like like or in that documentary of him saying that. But now that's starting to make a bit more sense, especially for this Batman. But yeah, there, there's moments where like two thirds of the way into the movie, he unlocks his parents' bedroom. Oh, he does? I didn't catch that. <laughs> it, it's like, there's no dialogue. It's just a shot of him after 
I, I think it's after Alfred is injured, where some some shit has un- unfolded in the narrative that's caused him to call into question, like like you said, his yeah. his perception of his parents because he has them on this pedestal like a ten year old would do, mm-hmm. and it's not until two thirds of the way into the movie that he he has like a padlocked like he's never gone back in that room in 20 fucking years and that scene it's it's almost like he's growing up a little bit and as the narrative progresses i feel like that's kind of the driving force of his arc is that he's he's becoming not necessarily an adult all the way but he's he's acknowledging bruce wayne you know he's been he's been suppressing his his personal growth in favor of developing this batman projection yeah, he is just kind of a brat. Yeah, he just—it makes more sense. Well, and as I said, deliberately, very deliberately, there's some visual elements signaling us to to this concept at work. Um, when uh, when we first go to the bat, no, second time, no, first time we go to the Batcave, uh, Alfred is admonishing him about like you gotta shape up, buddy. Yeah, your finances are in ruin, and we have to meet with some accountants. That that actually happens, but the movie doesn't show us that. Mm-hmm. Because a that's boring, <laughs> that would be a dull scene. But b, that's I don't think Bruce Wayne was quote present for that for those proceedings. It's like there, he he wasn't part of that because Bruce Wayne isn't he isn't a part of those discussions. He's not actually invested in that. Um, I thought it was a really interesting portrayal of the character. Yeah, it's very cool. very bold. But as I said numerous times, I don't think it's crowd pleasing. No, I think it's. Boring as shit. I think it's I think it's dull, and I think it's borderline upsetting to people who are, yeah, <laughs> you know, more more interested in seeing a, a more capable Batman, a Batman who's more sure of himself, who's mm-hmm. proven to be more capable and stoic, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. because this Batman is very self assured when he's when he has forward momentum, but when he when he's still, it's like I don't know if this guy's got his shit together. Like, like, like I I actually remember saying uh, when we were talking about our expectations for this film a while back like I, I think robert pattinson based on his track record as an actor in recent years i think i think that this batman's going to be a bit of a fuck up and he certainly is because yeah. he fucks up quite a bit in this film <laughs> like he doesn't exactly take ownership of those fuck ups but he stumbles quite a bit maybe he'll grow more in the next movie i add this this characterization of batman was super fucking boring and he's not—he doesn't even have like his two sides yet. He doesn't even have his Bruce Wayne, like you're saying. Like he's not even Bruce Wayne at this point. Or what we what we understand Bruce Wayne to be. Yeah, I, I think that's part of the point of the of this particular narrative is is that he is not yet Bruce Wayne. Yeah. He is Batman. He's not yet Bruce Wayne. And there are multiple signals throughout the movie that become like Bruce Wayne is an asset. He is a tool that is even more powerful much more powerful than a batmobile he's just failing to acknowledge that because he's a little bit of an idiot and he and again forest for the trees like like there's a lot of energy and aggression directed towards attacking problems head-on that end up not actually being the chief concern like the most imminent threat and a lot of that comes from having a youthful mentality about things i do like when he goes to the uh, memorial service and bella real is just like hey you're rich we're gonna use that like i'm gonna talk to you about using that and he's just like oh okay that's exactly what i'm talking about is that the way that the way that scene is shot in the church he's completely focused on the boy Mm -hmm. who he of course identifies with because he's also looking for the riddler but yes it's such a weird it it was a weird (laughs) moment in the movie it is um 
The way but, if you were not if you didn't realize if you just walked in on that scene not knowing you were watching Batman and you just see a guy staring at a child like what the fuck is he staring at that? Kid? <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird in the movie. It's like creepy motherfucker with the greasy hair doing staring at that kid. He's, yeah, he's he's looking like the Yellow King <laughs> staring at a kid in the playground. <laughs> Yeah, the way that that sequence is shot, the the way it's framed, his word it's from his perspective, and he's he's not listening. Mm-hmm. We the we the viewer are listening because we're trying to give a shit. Yeah, like if you're Kyle, you're about to tap out in the theater. Done. But he, as a character, he's he's not listening to her. But what she's asking him about is like, hey, you're a billionaire, you could be helping Gotham. Yeah, you're not. Your parents did, but you're not. Yeah. And she's and like, he, I'm going to change that. And yeah. She, yeah, she's like, I'm going to change that. And then she walks off to go do some adult shit. And he's like, oh, where's the Riddler? Hey, <laughs> you know what? I'd vote for her. She's already got my vote. She's pretty great. Hey, she can take a bullet, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, she took that like a champ. <laughs> she's going to be like, Reagan, <laughs> like, missed me next time. <laughs> shit. Um, is there more you want to get into with the character? Uh, I'm sure there is, but we can get to it when it comes up. When it flares up again, inevitably. I've said my piece, because I want to talk about the other fuckers in this movie uh the remainder of the cast who you want to start with we can start with catwoman alfred commissioner gordon penguin i want to say riddler for last well you had some comments about catwoman before we recorded well, the way you you set it up like i've got a, got a real problem <laughs> no i don't i i like i like the character of catwoman i i like how she kind of plays both like she's is she good is she evil who knows? She could be both. Like she kind of always is like a double agent. You never really quite know where her allegiances lie. But in each movie that she pops up in, she ends up more like more sixty forty good. I would say. Um, this one, I never really get that sense. This Catwoman, I never really get that sense. It seems like she's pretty good for the most part. They, the way she's characterized, she's very she's what, what she call she calls him vengeance. I called her. I just started calling her revenge in my notes because that's how her, that's what her arc kind of takes over, and that's what her arc is in the Burton Batman as well. Um, she doesn't like uh, Max Shrek. Um, I think that Zoe Kravitz is gorgeous. I think she's absolutely beautiful. She's, she's great. Great to look. at. She's great. She's great. Not crazy about her as an actress though, um, and not that the Catwoman needs a ton like you don't have to bring a lot I think Michelle Pfeiffer does a fantastic job she's pretty great at being kind of crazy she's great she's pretty great but yeah I just don't I'm not I don't feel it Uh, maybe in the next movie they'll they'll get a little bit more I just wasn't feeling her as Catwoman in this movie yeah I I, see what's what's difficult for me is that um, my attachment to the comics actually bleeds into my my viewings of the movies because in the comics I really don't care much for Catwoman I like her more than Harley Quinn I think Harley Quinn is a, an obnoxious character I think Harley Quinn is if we're talking about female bat like Batman yeah. I, I, I don't want to go down this whole road, but <laughs> I think har- elements of Harley Quinn's probably earlier portrayals because she's now like I think bisexual and mostly associated with poison ivy these days rather than mr j yeah but in those early days it's like this is not healthy <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is not a relationship to aspire to all you comic con ladies yeah. <laughs> dressing up like harley quinn she's, like, she's not a mentally uh, she's not yeah this is not someone to look up to <laughs> she's mentally ill yeah extraordinarily so and not only that she was in a fucking abusive relationship yeah can't imagine but as i said the character in the comics especially has 
moved on. Like she's grown, changed in in ways for the better in terms of like mental health. And stuff. I did not like uh, what's her face, Margot te- Robbie. No, the teeth. Uh, oh, the teeth. Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway's ah, like, ah, that's yeah. a complete. Okay, so coming back to Catwoman. Yeah. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer, I think, is always, forever going to be my Catwoman. For several reasons, yes. She's great. Yeah. Uh, but the point is, Tim Burton was taking the material for a walk. Yeah. That is not a traditional Catwoman. That That is an isolated performance that by itself is, is tremendous. Um, but in terms of like more mainstream, like more prototypical bat women, uh, Catwomen... Yeah, I think aside from that one, I think, I guess I have to say Zoe Kravitz is the best one. Okay. Because Anne Hathaway, I mean, there's not much competition. No. Like, like, like Anne Hathaway, uh, I didn't care much for that performance. Um, it's a very different approach to the character. She comes across as kind of like rich and snooty. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, she, she comes across as rich and snooty, but she's very much about not being rich She's and not supposed to be that, but yeah. she can't help it. Like you look like you look like you come from an affluent, like an affluent East Coast family. Basically, well, a lot of it comes down to attitude too. I'm a like, trust fund for my family in Connecticut. Yeah. I guess you could argue that those are the groups that she pilfers from, like that she mingles with. But so she has to put on that that kind of persona. Is this Catwoman bisexual? Was she did, was she making out with the girl, the friend girl? This is a tentpole studio film, Kyle. We don't use that word. Oh. <laughs> because other foreign territories are not especially keen I, on that sort of stuff. I thought she was making out with her at one point. I, I could, maybe I maybe I was like because it was like he was like looking into her apartment because he's the world's greatest detective. Uh, <laughs> while it was raining, so I thought she was I thought that they were together. I didn't notice that. I mean, they were they were sharing an apartment. Like I'm going to pull up the movie while we're talking. Okay, well, yeah. um, I didn't notice that, but th- that's the kind of stuff that shouldn't be controversial. No, no. I, 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 no, I was just wondering. I'm like, th- that shouldn't be an issue. No, obviously not, but I'm just, I thought I caught that because it, cause there's definitely a scene of them, like Batman and her kissing. Yeah. And then I'm like, I, th- I thought she was kissing the other guy too. But yeah, uh, in terms of characterization, I thought that she was... The closest we've had to a traditional, okay, you know, Catwoman uh, okay. in terms of like to the adhering to the source material from the comics and whatnot. But like, I noticed a trend with the character where it's like she she seems to be uh, like a half step ahead of Robert Pattinson's Batman throughout the entire film. Yeah, um, and the the way the narrative progresses in that kind of like zodiacy sort of way, there's a lot of things that happen uh, implicitly, just like off screen. Like she'll major developments will happen in her personal uh, vendetta and her investigation um, off screen, and then it's like, whoa, you made a lot of progress off screen. <laughs> like you're really good at this, and even like the way the the finale of the film comes together, like it almost feels like if you if you like inserted more of her and subtracted some of that Batman, maybe you would have gotten a better result. <laughs> but the major difference is like a, from a philosophical standpoint. She's, as most cat women are, uh, very much invested in her problems. Like, mm, like yeah, hers are yeah. very personal. Like she has very personal instincts and, and conflicts at work, whereas Batman's are like more the entirety of the city, I guess, all of Gotham. So like, mm. it's like as good as she is at this sort of thing, she's only in it for herself. So the only 
good, the only contribution she can make to Gotham as a as a sixty forty force for good and evil, uh, is very minuscule by comparison. Okay. Um, but yeah, as like a mover and shaker in the story, she's incredibly important to the narrative. Very much. Um, it, almost to where it's stupid. Yeah, um, and but she's also useful though because, as you said, you were very frustrated in Pattinson's Batman and and his character. Yeah. She's. Got much energy. More, she's yeah. She has energy, but she's also much more down to earth, and more, I don't know, quick to act on emotion. She is yes. And as a result, like we we get these interesting dialogue exchanges between the two of them, where it's like, her her thought process probably mirrors that of the viewer a little bit at times, whereas he can be frustrating because he's he's focused on his goals and his agenda, and she's like work. She's shooting from the hip. She's she's going with her gut and whatnot. Like, uh, no, she doesn't. She doesn't kiss her. Uh, she has her hands like on the back of her neck, like holding her, like you would, like trying to convince somebody of something and then give them a kiss. I just, I misremembered thinking that she kissed, but it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, we got to the bottom of that. Um, but, but I brought it up because yes, we want this movie to do well across the world in yes. all places. So I'm yeah. like, that's a bold move by the studio to allow something like that. But they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> Um, but yeah, maybe I just there, there was something about some like I never really believed her emotion in the movie. That was the problem I had. Uh, but that's her as an actress. But yeah, you're right. Catwoman is very important to the story. Uh, she's Falcone's daughter apparently, which I'm like as soon as she said it, I'm like fuck off. What? It's from the comics. Actually. Okay, okay. Like that's that's actually from the Long Halloween, if memory serves. It felt like a soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was also interesting because like again, I, I'm just. I'm a fucking shotgun tonight. I'm sorry, but <laughs> this is gonna be a four-hour episode. Um, I I noticed a a thing that like upon my initial viewing, it felt stronger than upon re-examination. But I I mentioned this earlier about how like it, it almost felt like this should be a a story that concludes with Batman hanging it up because I started to notice instances where wow, this Batman's really ineffectual. Like I'm not used to this. This is strange. Like this is uh, this is unfamiliar. And, and what I'm what I'm getting at there is that, like I, I can't emphasize enough. Forest for the trees, man. There's yeah. there's so many instances. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> You've been saying it several times. Basically, it means like narrowing your focus too much. Oh, okay. Like if a problem is this big, you're like zeroing in on like the one twig in there. Like okay. you're you're zeroing in on. You're focusing on the small detail here when you should be looking here. Okay. You should be having your head on a swivel and paying attention to your environs. Um, this Batman has tunnel vision. Um, and also, he seems to be very open to suggestion, similar, similar to a child. Right? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he literally does that so many times in this movie where, the like, he... He has an idea, and he's like, "Yeah, I should totally do that." And like Gordon's like, "You mean this?" And he's like, "Yeah, I think that's right. Like, yeah. we should totally do that. We should totally go there." I think that there's been an important shift in making these big blockbuster films. Uh, this was a, this was, I think, maybe what people had a problem with in that in that uh, episode eight was that uh, Poe. I think it's Poe is just like he decides like, "I'm gonna go rogue. Like, I have to take care of this." And the brass are like, "Don't do that." And then he does that, and then they punish him for it. It's like, you fucked everything up because you went rogue. You need to listen to our ideas. This, it's like, hey, you know, you can be the hero, but you, you got to work as a team sometimes. You got to take in other people's ideas. <laughs> it's like, we have to start instilling this into kids now. Well, 
man, I'm so sorry, Kyle. Like this, this conversation, sure. this, this conversation is <laughs> going to shit. Um, we gotta stop standing for these. I'm, I'm really. I, it helps my brain work surprisingly. Um, so I'm really glad you brought up Episode Eight, Star Wars. By the oh. way, um, last the last Jedi. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Last Jedi. Last Jedi. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, it's yeah. a weird way to. The, to the, the last one isn't the last yeah, one. Yeah, the last Jedi <laughs> should be the last one. The Rise of Skywalker should be the second one. See, that one. feels like some of that Ryan Johnson like subversion bullshit where it's like, hang on, you mean the middle chapter's just the last one? What the fuck are we doing here? That's why I can never remember which one is which. You heard it from me live on the mic. I yeah. just fucked it up because, <laughs> because of that. But Anyway, I'm glad you brought that up because that entire movie, the reason why it's so divisive is because it it go it goes against the grain at every turn. Like, it, it, it basically has all of our characters fail constantly. Mm-hmm. Where they have all these brilliant ideas, they get swept up in things, they go rush at it with a full head of steam, and they fuck up. And that movie ends with just everybody going, what the f- what do we do now? Yeah. And that's why some people love it and some people hate it. Uh, this movie has a similar vibe to it, where, like, like I said, so many times Batman just seems to have a belief that... that this is the right course of action right here and now. It's like, not really. Not necessarily. <laughs> but, um, okay. but what's what's funny about that, and the reason why I'm going off on this tangent, which I probably am going to revisit three more times, is is that the the uh, sequence with Falcone and uh, Selena, uh, Catwoman. Which one? Uh, when she tries to assassinate. Oh, when she tries to shoot him like Harry from uh, Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes in there and she tries to assassinate him and. The reason I'm focusing on this, like specifically this, because I could talk about other instances, but specific... Oh, Seven's definitely coming back, by the way. <laughs> okay. Um, the reason why I'm focusing on this one is that she attempts to kill her father, uh-huh. and she and he in turn tries to kill her. Batman steps in and prevents it from happening. Um, ultimately, Falcone is shot by the Riddler. There's the Seven. Like, yeah. after the fact. So it's like it calls into question. It this, I, I'm curious because I I have no. You're turning into Bert. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm curious. Like I don't have any connection to it, but I seem to remember a meme going around about the Big Bang Theory, and Big. and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. So they figured out uh, on an episode. Um, they have Penny watch or. Penny or one of the other girls watches uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time. They're like, wasn't that awesome? They're all nerds. Like, this is so great. And she's like, yeah, but it doesn't really matter because the Nazis were going to find the stuff anyway. And they're all, like, super smart. So they're like, no, that's not right. So they rewatch it and they're like, shit. Like, yeah, he does not affect the story at all. It was all going to happen regardless. Uh, yeah, but that's Big Bang Theory. I mean, I would come back at that and say, like, you yeah. know, yeah. if they... Yeah. If he wasn't there to blow up the plane, maybe they wouldn't have used a submarine to cart the... Like, they wouldn't have abducted the cargo from a ship at sea, and they would not have gone to that particular island. And, I'm know. sure you're familiar at this point with Lord of the Rings. They should have just flown the Eagles to Mordor. Oh, that's bullshit. Yeah, so... <laughs> Tolkien is on record. They have a video, the audio of him, and he had a fan ask him, and he was just like, shut up. <laughs> Basically pulled like a Michael Bay. He's like... Shut up. Don't worry about that. Shut your, shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> Sit down. Don't worry about that. Worry did about you, other shit. Did you buy the book? Anyway. Anyway, um, anyway I just wanted to bring that up because I, I, don't, I haven't seen that episode. I haven't really watched don't that Don't watch show. it. You're fine. But I do know that meme. And I was thinking about that while I was watching this movie. Where I was like, does, does 
Batman affect a whole lot in this story? And I don't know that he does. Like, he does affect very specific things. But there's so much of this movie that feel like, you know, I don't know if we actually needed a Batman that day. <laughs> it's like, it's cool that we have him, but I don't know that he's 100% essential. Um, but yeah, that scene with Catwoman, it's, I thought it was interesting. It's like, she's so much more effective. And because she's so much more emotional in her approach to things, like, she's more decisive than, mm-hmm. than Batman and more, much more focused. But, like, long story short, with her character, she's laser-focused on her stuff. Yeah. Um, and she's continually trying to reach out to him. But as we as we said, he's too young in the brain to really process it. Although we do get lots of hints that he appreciates her, but he's just not equipped to reciprocate in the way that she would like to. Yeah, he could have, you know, not watched her undress. <laughs> just <laughs> well, saying. Again, 10 years old. That's, that, you know, that's that's the act of a, a young person that lacks the, the tools to, to interact in that way. All right, do you want to shift for A is for Alfred? Sure. Uh, let's talk about Alfred. Um, an important character in the Batman franchise, in my opinion. Um <laughs> I mean, we don't really get much of this Alfred. He's not on the screen as much. We get much more Michael Caine than any other, I think, even more than Michael Go. Much more. Um, and he's very important to uh, like him kind of developing and understanding what's happening as far as Batmaning is concerned. This Alfred, we don't, we haven't had much time. I thought they fucking killed him. I was so scared <laughs> watching this. I'm like, are they going to kill him? Again, like, that's something, like, uh, like subverting expectations. It's like can't harm alfred like alfred never gets harmed he gets blown the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> yes but, he does <laughs> but andy Zerkus, um i think he's a good alfred but we were i think we were discussing last week we were talking about like an active alfred more like um a dude who's like don't on his bulletproof vest and shooting at people if they come into the mansion like we thought that andy Zerkus would be that kind of alfred as opposed to like oh master wine <laughs> Um, Sorry, Harrison, if you're listening. <laughs> I don't think he's from that part of England. <laughs> oh, no, he's just like, that was an atrocious thing. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, Harrison. Sorry, sorry Jordan. Um, Grief Burrito. Check it out, folks. Yep, listen to him. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting how they, they immediately throw out the window any expectations I had for what this performance would be Yeah. Uh, in the form of him having a cane. Not a Michael Caine, but a Caine. Yeah, Caine. Um, I was like, oh, because as soon as I heard he was cast, I mean, it's pretty obvious that he's... <laughs> it, it's not surprising that he's going to be involved because he and Matt Reeves did amazing work on the Planet of the Apes films, so they have a working relationship. Um, but what's up, Kyle? <laughs> I'm just thinking, of like, it would be kind of funny if they had, like, a contentious relationship where it's just, like... He keeps getting on to him. He's like, listen, you geriatric fuck. I give you a place to sleep, all right? I don't need this shit done for me. I'm letting you do it so you have a place to stay. Shut up. Leave me alone. I'm going to my room. Like, he's on the verge of that, honestly. I uh, mean, that that would have been an acceptable take on the character if 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 our theories, or at least my theory, is to be believed that he's a, he's a young of mind Bruce Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> Lots think- of slamming doors. <laughs> But I didn't really like the relationship at first because I like a warm, I like a much I like a, a warm relationship between the two. But I think they earn it in this movie. I, I actually kind of like the way this plays out. We get so little, but I do like what we get. Yeah. Um. I really, I really like that scene where uh, they're talking about the Riddler's cipher, and Alfred's mm-hmm. like, 
I, you're back on your bullshit again, I see. <laughs> and he's like, so, uh, there's some adults upstairs that you're gonna have to get dressed for. You haven't showered in, like, three weeks, Master Bruce. Um, and he walks away from that conversation in the back cave, disappointed and frustrated. But then when Bruce finally, after however long it takes him to finally come upstairs, after he comes upstairs and dresses in plain clothes, we see Alfred quietly working on the cipher independent of him. Yeah. And it's it's very much like a dad move of yeah. like like like, you know, I'm I'm gonna leave you alone. Like clearly you're not in a mood to talk, but I, I am invested. Like Damn. this is my way of showing that I, I care. It's more of a guardian it's like a guardian um, relationship like it feels more like a dad and son kind of thing it's just like you're kind of doing your own thing well, and if memory serves that conversation ends with him saying you're not my dad one of them does yeah for yeah, sure and he's like yeah I'm not I know I'm not and yeah, that's him that's acknowledging a... that's tr- no. that's him being very honest like him acknowledging that's not my place mm-hmm. like we're not able to have those conversations but I can support you yeah. um, and he does and, and I really did like that I was very warm in a in a roundabout sort of way I'm gonna I'm gonna say it right now. Alfred's dying. He is 100% gonna die because they have kind of a the relationship now is like he's like dealing with like a shitty teenager. He's gonna fall like fall more in love with Alfred like and realize like how important he is to him. And then the Joker is going to murder Alfred if I had to guess. How much? I'll put money on it. on the air. I'll I'll put three dollars on it that the Joker is going to murder Alfred. Okay. Well. We'll save <laughs> sequel talk for the end of this yeah, conversation. So I, I have thoughts on that. but um, More on Alfred. He has only one other important scene, so we may as well just talk about it. So he gets blowed up by accident. because he's longest. It's a fucking federal offense, buddy. You're opening other people's mail. Yeah. You better cut that shit. <laughs> you got blowed up for a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> but, Follow the rules. Yeah, he gets blowed up, but he gets better, kind of, Yeah. Uh, I hope. Um, He'll be fine. That scene, Kyle. So I, I couldn't listen to it. So you tell me what happens. <laughs> it took too long. So this is tinfoil hat Trevor. Yeah. This hasn't been confirmed, but this is tinfoil hat Trevor and and his eye for detail, noticing some shit that it bugs me like on a, in a weird way that's difficult to process. But the word, the phrase COVID production is is our reality now uh-huh. like we're starting we're getting more and more of these movies that were produced under early pandemic circumstances are you concerned they weren't six feet apart when they shot this i don't know if they were in the same room i don't think they were in the same that room be, yeah that's very possible because andy circus laying in this hospital bed yeah. it's a two shot yeah we're it it's we're doing camera one camera, camera two, two yeah. camera one camera two and every time he is on camera not robert pattinson but every time andy circus is on camera he has this weird digital halo, and his lighting on his face is fucking hideous yeah. and looks unnatural. I would not be surprised if he is on. He is in the volume. He yeah, is on a digital possible. set, and Robert Pattinson is behind bulletproof glass, radioing in his lines. Is he trying to tell him that? Yeah, your dad was a little corrupt, but he wasn't a piece of shit. Was it just like, yeah, I covered it up. Like, Bruce Bruce Wayne opens that conversation, and the, at this point in the narrative is like when he's starting to make the turn, where he's starting to spend more time in Bruce Wayne's shoes. Mm. So he comes to Alfred as Bruce Wayne, and he's like, "You fucking lied to me. You've been lying to me my whole life." That's actually really good. <laughs> you fucking lied to me. That's a pretty oh, good Robert Pattinson. Oh, Alfred, you fucking lied. <laughs> oh, it man. is. Actually, I, I hadn't rehearsed that, that was, but yes, I, I can hear it. That's pretty good. Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, you fucking lied to me." 
um so he he's like he comes at alfred all aggro and shit and alfred's like aggro emo yeah okay <laughs> i wasn't gonna use the e word but, yeah. yeah but yeah, he opens that conversation with his dying butler in the yeah. hospital but you fucking lied to me and he's, and he's like fuck fuck you i raised your ass yeah um so I'm he's coming he's, com- he's coming to him with with this potential revelation that either Salvatore Moroni or Carmine Falcone murdered his parents or organized for his parents to be murdered. Yeah. We never even fucking know, but he suspects one of them. And then Alfred's like, yeah, he talked to Falcone, but he didn't tell him to kill the guy. (laughs) So yeah, Falcone tells him, who's the other dude? What's that? Moroni isn't in the film. Okay, that was <laughs> fucking me up. I'm like, who the fuck? I was like looking at him, who the fuck is Moroni? No, Moroni was the mob boss who preceded Falcone. Okay. And he, the drug bust that shut down his operation kind of set up the the system that supports Gotham at the, uh, during the course of this narrative. Who's the mob boss in uh, Batman Begins? Is that Falcone? Or uh, Moroni? Yeah. Or Moroni. <laughs> Maron. Maron. Uh, I think it's Falcone in that film. Uh, but yeah, the same the same mobsters are, are in this as were in the Nolan films. Can we get to Commissioner Gordon? Not yet. Oh, come on. I just want to say that that, that conversation with Alfred is where it surfaces that um, his, I don't know, lack of faith in his father. where that That's where Alfred kind of consoles him about that, where it comes, where they actually hash it out a little bit. And and also that's where the dialogue was elliptical in such a way that I was like, I don't know the circumstances of the shooting. Like like I know his parents are dead. I don't know if he was there. I don't know if he saw the face of the person who pulled the trigger, but clearly this Bruce Wayne is not equipped to talk about it. But the main, my main takeaway was that I don't know that those two actors were on set together that day. Um, and in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Andy Serkis excused himself from chunks of this movie like i wouldn't be surprised if he was supposed to be in more of the film is what i'm getting at but due to covid uh, a lot of this production was severely fucked (laughs) um like apparently the director was dressed like the riddler the whole time oh really yeah and most of the performances were done with earpieces with no one behind the camera oh really yeah yeah it it was a nightmare apparently (laughs) a very wet smelly nightmare (laughs) that lasted a year and a half Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, <laughs> um, Commissioner Gordon, dude. So you not not Commissioner yet, but no, yeah, but Gordon, Gordon, Jim yeah. Gordon, Jim Gordon. Uh, so again, subverting expectations. Jeffrey Wright, um, who I really like as an actor, uh, he's in a lot of good stuff. Um, this was an interesting take for Commissioner Gordon because he is really dependent on Batman. Like he's really coming in for a lot of stuff. Like. A lot of more than even the Pat Hingle bat <laughs> Commissioner Gordon was going for. Like every time he's with Batman, he's like, "What the fuck does this mean?" Like <laughs> Batman is his crutch. I um, think they're codependent. Very much. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's a codependent relationship. It's not healthy. Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> it's it was kind of cracking me up. Uh, just, it was it was bothering me. Yeah, because talk about things we're not used to seeing. Batman is normally he's a solo performer. Yeah. He is hanging out like buddy cop style. He yeah. is attached to Gor- Jim Gordon's hip. Yeah. Like, they're just, like, bebopping and scatting throughout this whole movie together as a pair. And there's a lot of contention with the department and Gordon having this relationship with Batman. Um, 
to the point where it's like, how did he even get this okayed? And I think the only reason why it's okayed in this movie is because Batman is named by Riddler's like Riddler's cards. I don't know what their relationship was before that, though. I mean, he he was invited into that crime scene pretty readily, and he does seem to vouch for him, so I wouldn't be surprised if they had some dealings over the past two years. They're very cozy with each other. Very, yeah. But it it, it contributes to that weird Zodiacian, like, group psychosis kind of shit, though, because, like I said, they they both contribute to the their mutual folly. Yeah. Like like you said, he, he constantly looks to Batman like, what the fuck does that riddle mean? Yeah. And he's like, I think it means this. And he's like, you're totally right. We should totally right. do that. Yeah. I think you're right, Batman. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even fucking know your name. <laughs> it's just a weird character for Jeffrey Wright to play because he's oh, he always plays um, very confident. He's always a very confident character. He doesn't play like, I guess, like baffled. Like, oh, what are we supposed to do? Like it, it's, just, it's, it's a weird take, but maybe he'll get more confident as he moves forward. I think I think he carries an air of authority that's that's very he does he does do that it's I, very yeah. warm and comforting at times in the movie like like uh, in the action finale in the stadium like he's very quick to like organize the police force and like come to the aid of the mayor and he even gets up into the scaffolding and stuff pretty right quick I was thinking when he keeps the other cops who 100% would have taken off that mask it's kind of crazy to me that that this is even that's even a scene in this oh movie. yeah yeah that, that mask would be off immediately. <laughs> that was where that was one of those moments where I'm like, what's going on here? Why are we checking the mask? Like, they would have the mask off. Uh, but I do like how he gets them out of there. He's like, you gotta slip out the back. You gotta punch me in the face, though. Get- <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. No, I, I liked him in the role. Yeah. I thought he was a very... I feel he slipped very naturally into the role. It's just the utility of the character, as I said, is totally foreign to, most, to yeah. most Batman stories. I'm not, I'm not used to him palling around with batman so often like i kind of i kind of like gary oldman's his role not i'm not talking about performance i'm talking about the way the way they inserted him into the narrative like like him using the tumbler and like being uncomfortable with it and stuff and him being cautiously optimistic about batman but keeping a distance and stuff he's also how does he never figure out that it's bruce wayne (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of crazy yeah yeah it's kind of pathetic actually <laughs> it took you three fucking movies you had to lose how many teeth and get how many wrinkles to figure that out maybe he's just giving a kid a coat <laughs> when he's lonely Bruce Wayne <laughs> can you imagine like him driving back it's like the whole time like, it was right there it was right there how did I not figure it out he might retire after that, honestly. He's like, guys, I don't think I have it. <laughs> I think I lost a step. I, I lost it, guys. <laughs> uh, all right, Penguin. <laughs> penguin. Yeah. Uh, so Colin Farrell uh, portrays the Penguin, uh, previously seen in live action uh, as portrayed by Danny DeVito yeah. uh, back in the Batman Returns days. So that's a funny little quinky dink that we have both Catwoman and, ba- and the Penguin in the same Batman film again. Yeah. Um, Colin Farrell, of course... Uh, doesn't look at all like like he does in real life uh, like in this film uh, he's wearing pounds of prosthetics mm-hmm. uh, makeup appliances and whatnot um and apparently jonah hill uh was being courted in the early goings for this role interesting yeah uh, very different very different approach i would imagine um i don't know what that would have looked like exactly i but i guarantee you he probably would have found a way to get more screen time because he is notorious for being the funniest guy on the set 
Yeah. <laughs> In every film he works on. Basically, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, he deserves more screen time because of that. Um, <laughs> dude, <laughs> don't look up. He was fucking hilarious. Um, yeah. I, when I This was one of those casting decisions where it's just like, Colin Farrell is the penguin. It's so odd that you're like, I have to see that. Yeah. And it was totally worth it because, uh, for me, he was the highlight of the film. Uh, because he's the most energetic of any... He's the only energetic person uh, in the movie. The only one that's kind of having fun. Like, he's just kind of like... Eh, I mean, he's literally shoulder-shrugging. Like, he's just shoulder-shrugging Italian mob yeah, guy. he's making rings out of his index and his thumb. He's yeah. touching his chest a lot. He's, he's doing he's doing a shtick. Yeah. But it's fucking working. It, it works. <laughs> it totally works. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, yeah, he's doing some of that acting shit, and I really did appreciate it. Um, he really does inject a lot of color and life into uh, a movie that I don't think is sorely lacking for it. Um, I do think it is occasionally funny, um, but very it's very dry. Very, very dry. For, the, for a very wet movie, it's extraordinarily dry in yes. terms of its dialogue and delivery and whatnot. But him... He's allowed to like stretch his wings a little bit <laughs> um, and have some fun with the material. Um, some of his line deliveries are just just objectively just funny. Yeah. Like, like I love when he, when Gordon pulls out the photo, he's like, hey, what are you showing me? <laughs> he has a lot of good moments like that where it's like... That's good eye acting. He's like, hey, what are you showing me? Yeah, yeah and, and his eyes, Colin Farrell, a very strong asset, and he's lit very, very well. The makeup looks very convincing mm-hmm. um it doesn't look rubbery or, or not even for it, a second it, yeah apparently he tested it by going out for a starbucks oh really yeah and that's uh, awesome he got some goofy looks but nobody said anything. nobody <laughs> I mean, nobody could tell who it was i'm sure yeah no of course not and he's wearing a fat suit so he didn't he didn't like do method that, shit for this i remember watching uh kevin bacon on uh graham norton he was talking about he went around one day like dressed up like so nobody could recognize him as Kevin Bacon. He's like, and it was awful. I hated it because nobody <laughs> recognized me. He's like, it was terrible. But uh, his uh, his kid, uh, Kevin Bacon's son, went to my college, and I remember uh, my roommate and some other people were like looking for Kevin Bacon because they caught wind, they caught wind of the fact that Kevin Bacon was touring the the college with his son. Yeah, um, I think some people did find him. So. Hey, you can't dance here, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> John Lithgow's the dean. <laughs> Not at the Evergreen State College. No. no, dancing and many other things were very much allowed there. <laughs> but Evergreen College in the Evergreen State? Would anybody smoke pot? <laughs> <laughs> Not even a little. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, Colin Farrell, I thought was he was delightful. Yep. Um, his utility in the story is fascinating in that he's he's very much like biding his time. Like it's no surprise that goddamn HBO Max is a. Uh, Apparently coming at us with no less than two The Batman spin-off series, one of which will focus on uh, Oswald Cobblepot, the Penguin. Um, so I guess there's more story to be told about this character, and it doesn't surprise me because like his his whole character is that he's waiting in the wings, waiting for an opportunity. Like he's just he's just kind of like he's a low-level enforcer. He's he's doing his job as a mobster. But he's biding his time and waiting for an opportunity, which Batman kind of facilitates. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he gets a rise to power at the end of the narrative. But um, he's sprinkled throughout the film. Uh, he doesn't occupy a whole lot of screen time. But um, what's, we'll, we'll talk about when we get to the end, I guess. Um, I was, I was going to say, uh, we can segue into Falcone real quick, because he also has about the same amount of screen time, I'd say. Yeah. 
Um, and he's not a character that I'm really familiar with aside from Batman Begins, really. Um, yeah, he's. Uh, I believe he was in Batman Year One, the comic, as well as the Long Halloween. Uh, he's he's a character from that era of Gotham's history before the the costume supervillains came to power. Um, very similar to how the Nolan films played out, where the Joker represents that transition, the escalation period. Um, in this film, uh, I believe it is from the comic actually that. Uh, the little detail about Thomas Wayne saving his life. Mm. Um, he was injured. He had a gunshot wound, and he was saved in Wayne Manor. Like, like he operated in the in the manor. Like he came to their doorstep, and Bruce, young Bruce Wayne witnessed it. Um, I I liked the way the character was positioned in the narrative, where he seems to be the man that has all the answers, but he's he makes his exit from the story just as the beans are about to be spilled and yeah. we're denied any of the details that frankly we don't need yeah. but the characters if you get into the headspace of the characters of bruce wayne in particular he would really love to know some of the things that falcone knows yeah, but nice. but he is executed in front of his eyes and we get that moment where he's like no like this guy's a scumbag but he knows he he carries knowledge that i absolutely need uh namely that of like who was responsible for the murder of my parents but um he is of course also directly linked with selena kyle catwoman he's her illegitimate father i guess or yeah something like that um yeah um and she wants to murder him (laughs) but uh, john Turturro's performance is thankfully subdued um i i didn't i didn't need him to be really really big i have colin farrell as the penguin for that um he actually reminded me of a I can't remember the actor's name, but uh, he's an Italian American actor that was really big in the '70s. He was he was the uh, he was the killer from Maniac, um, and he's in Rocky, uh, maybe even the first two Rockies as as like the I don't know the mobster that operates on the docks. Um, forget his name, but ruddy complexion, goofy mustache, uh, kind of slimy dude. <laughs> At least he played a lot of those types of characters. Um, but yeah, I didn't mind John Turturro in this. I don't. He's too funny. Like he's <laughs> he's too. Fu- uh, Joe Spinelli, I think, is who you're mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. He's too. F- he's too funny for me. Like I can't take him serious. He's kind of like the little John, like the big John, little John from the Halloween Kills, like that Michael McDonald. Like I know you're trying to make him be, have him be serious, but I'm like he's too funny just himself. So as soon as I saw John to turn, I'm like fuck off, really? Like, <laughs> okay, I'm like I don't really ca- I don't care about the character, but I'm like he. This is too dark for John Turturro. Like this is not his. This is not his kind of movie, in my opinion. Mm. But yeah, I wasn't crazy about him. But I do. This is the seven part. Was like, Falcone is really good about not being out in public. He's so good about that. And then they managed. They made, the Riddler manages to orchestrate this thing to get him out into public, and then shoots him. Can we talk about the Riddler? Because I don't understand how the fuck this scene played out. This was the most confusing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> what scene specific? Well, we get so we have a Batman saves Selena Kyle from being choked. It's a pretty, pretty good execution there. I will give him that much. Like, it was kind of scary. Um, <laughs> to quote Morticia Adams, "You've done this before." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So he saves her, and then they bring out John Turturro. They bring out Falcone. He's going to be arrested or whatever. Um, he's like, "Don't you all work for me?" He's like, "We don't all work for you." And then, boom! He just gets shot out of nowhere. And then I looked up, 
and we're in a diner, basically. Like, that's how long... Like, Oh, you blacked out. Oh, I, I'm like, what the fuck just <laughs> happened? Kyle lost time, as they say. Like, well, I, I'm exaggerating. I looked up, and then we're in Riddler's apartment, and then I kind of looked down, and then we're in a, in a diner. I'm like, what oh, the fuck no, happened? yeah, you missed an entire scene. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so, this is what I was talking about. Forest for the fucking trees, man. Um, Riddler... His apartment is across the street yeah. from the Iceberg Lounge. So basically all he needed was for Falcone to walk out the front door um, in, a, in a vulnerable position without people standing in front of him. And he got it. That's it. Yeah. And he just had a, a rifle parked in the window and he's just like, oh shit, now's the time. <laughs> like like that's, that's all it was. Um, but yeah, that, that's, how that, that's how that happened. And then he was like, just Batman just like, a window's open and then just like walk up well, they, like, oh, they, they try to connect it to the the riddles which we haven't been talking about because mostly because i don't remember them and also because they're childish and they actually don't contribute anything actually because the batman forever riddler it like, the riddlers are way better like there's way more effort put into them and they're way more fun well I, I suspect this riddler probably like bought some of these cards like like i'm sure he, he hand, did he handcrafted some of them but he's like man i got a schedule <laughs> like i'm just gonna hallmark this shit you are not an artist <laughs> no I've, no of course not but um yeah they connected to the riddles with like it's like bring bring the rat out into yeah the i got the, i got and that he, he's like oh shit i yeah. did exactly that <laughs> oh fuck i <I'm> fucked up <laughs> um uh, but yeah, that that scene. I may as well while we're here. I may as well point out. Um, Batman charges into that apartment in a fury, mm-hmm. and he kicks the door in, and he's like, "Where is he? Where is he?" <laughs> no, he doesn't do that. But he he kicks the door down, and he gets there before the cops, like thirty seconds before them. Yeah, they don't find him. Yeah, and uh, again, Batman is how effective in this film? <laughs> like, Not great. Like he he gets up there as fast as humanly possible, and he doesn't even get him. He does find the master plan. That is his only contribution, I'd say. I'll counter you on that, and I, I'm sorry. I, this conversation is a total fucking shit show, but um, the way he arrives at that conclusion is through the assistance of a good Samaritan, which seems to be a core theme of this. What? I, I'm I'm not kidding, Kyle. I want to say that this is a very big part of the narrative. Uh, it's told on. It's like. Who tells him? It's on the periphery. Martinez. Who? A patrolman. <laughs> so, so to roll it back just a little, to roll it back just a little bit. The reason why I was pointing out that Batman charges into that apartment is because he does not find the Riddler. Mm-hmm. The police come in thirty seconds after him. They don't find the Riddler. Yeah. And then someone on a radio in the apartment, while they're all like all of them looking around, like what the fuck's going on? Someone says. Hey, some lady saw a suspicious-looking guy down the road oh, go into a diner. Fuck off. That's how they find him? Yes. Come on. Some lady alerted the police, and then they f- went downstairs and found him. And that's so stupid. Be- before you say that's so stupid, Ugh. let's take it back to the the master plan on the floor of the apartment. Yeah, I'm listening. <laughs> I gotta stretch. <laughs> um, Martinez, the patrolman. This is uh, the one with the mustache? Uh, I can't remember if he has a mustache. I know what you're talking about. He's the he's the he's the one character deputy that we have. He's yeah. the one actor on the set who really, really, really wants to be part of the Gotham City Police Department TV show that they aren't going to be making. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I'm pretty sure he was really strongly lobbying for it at some point. I got you. He's not getting it. Um, 
he uh, he mentions to Batman, who is investigating the apartment, um, the murder weapon for the murder of the mayor at the very, very, very beginning of the movie. Yeah, 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 the carpet thing. Yeah, yeah. So he tells him what it is. He oh. says, it's a tucker, it's used for carpeting. Yeah, but he wasn't going to, the deputy wasn't going to put it together. And then Batman just immediately like, there's carpet in here. Yeah, but the- Batman wouldn't have done it either. So the two of them he's, together. He's rich, Trevor. How the fuck is he going to know what a carpet puller-upper thing is? <laughs> That's a very... God, I'm so, uh, know, yeah. This conversation is so disorganized, but... but you're rich. You don't know shit, dude. <laughs> that I think that's another theme that's very important to why this movie is the way it is. Gotcha. Catwoman says the phrase white privilege to him. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yes. I barely Catwoman <laughs> says to Batman's face, white did, privileged asshole. Did you watch this twice? Yes. Okay, that's why. I was like, I don't remember no, any she of says, She says white privileged assholes. I mean, he's the poster child for it. And in more recent years, there have been folks condemning the Batman character for operating the way he does because how could he possibly know the woes of the common man when he's a billionaire the the Riddler's characterization in this movie is stemming directly from this line of thinking yeah how could Bruce Wayne possibly relate to the common man how could he share the perspective of us how could he know what a carpet tucker tool is so without the perspective of this officer Martinez he wouldn't have fucking found that but again tying it all together yeah. it doesn't fucking matter because no. the bombs went off anyway yeah. <laughs> because this movie is vexing in well, that way <laughs> at least in the Nolan Batman we learn like he becomes aware because he spends you know a few years in a Chinese prison and apparently that made him a, uh, a citizen of the world yeah eating gruel and getting in yeah. fist fights every day it teaches you a lot I'm the world's greatest detective <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about the Riddler now yes please okay please I love Paul Dano Paul Dano is great uh, different I, kind of great. Yeah, different kind of great. <laughs> he, he is a tool. He, he he is a tool. You use him for specific things. He's in 12 Years a Slave, which I still haven't seen, and I'm wondering what his role is in that movie. I'm sure he it is, is. Not, it's not good. I'm sure if you isolated the audio from that and, <laughs> and put it out there into the world without context, you'd have some reactions. <laughs> well, when we when I heard that Paul Dano was playing the Riddler, obviously like prisoners and there will be blood kind of flashback. I'm like, oh, that's interesting because yeah. he's a little little pipsqueak basically, but he can get under your skin really well. Oh, he's a little shit. He's a little shit. <laughs> um, so he's like, great. Yeah, he's great. No, we really, I really like him um, because because of that. Like he's he's good at that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know what I the problem I have with the Riddler. Uh, I don't know if it's his execution of the character, if it's I don't like how the character's written. Um, it it's it's a very bizarre. I, I, it's a very bizarre Riddler for me. I don't know how you feel about it. It's a very specific version of the character. That, is this from the comic book? No, 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 okay. no. Actually, this is totally new. Okay. Like, like actually, I, I have it on record. I, I put out a clip actually because I went on a rant about this movie before it came out because I was like throwing around words like hush and and things like that because i was looking at the costume design and thinking about the riddler as the 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 guy you want to put front and center big as life and twice as ugly on the poster for your batman movie post jim carrey yeah well if nolan has taught us anything it's like we're not really going to invest in our first installment villain we're going with <laughs> scarecrow the first one like we went watch like who the fuck is the oh, scarecrow I don't know who the I mean, fuck that is. Technically, Rachel Ghoul, but you know. Okay, 
Who the fuck is Ray or, Shaw or, cool? or excuse me, <laughs> Raw's all cool, if we're saying it Christian Bale style. I went into that movie not knowing either one of those villains. I'm like, there's, I actually, no there's actually a shit ton of Batman villains in that movie. You got Victor Zayas, we got Scarecrow, we got Maroney, Falcone. Falcone in that movie, and Rachel Ghoul. They're all, aside from Scarecrow, they're all deep cuts. Yeah. Um, but what I was thinking, like, my thinking behind that was, like, you know, the Riddler's, like, he's he's an image that we all think of when we think of Batman villains. But in terms of, like, good stories for the Riddler, there are very few. Because you know what you have to be? Like, you know what you have to be able to do as a writer for the Riddler? You gotta be fucking smart. Mm-hmm. And not all comic book writers are. <laughs> like, you have to be a clever motherfucker to be to write cleverly. Um, and as a result, we don't get many Riddler stories. Yeah. And oftentimes he's, he's a joke. He's a punchline. Like, oftentimes he's mistreated... Are, in comics. Are you saying that Jim Carrey dry humping the screen <laughs> in Batman Forever was not well thought out? <laughs> well, I mean, it's Jim Carrey, so I'm sure he was obsessive and weird about it. I'm sure a lot of thought and prep went into that. Did I send you the, the, the hip-thrusting gif of him throwing the little bombs? Fireballs? Yeah. yeah no, his, his physicality, his performance is, for what it is, excellent. Um, yeah. But the point I was trying to make is that uh, to me, the Riddler's like, who the fuck gives a shit about the Riddler? Who gives a shit about glass? <laughs> like, like the Riddler to me doesn't put asses in seats. No. So my theory was that the story wasn't going to necessarily be about the Riddler. It's like we're going to put him out there because the question mark is good iconography for marketing, but I don't know if this is a Riddler story. It turned out to actually be a Riddler story, kind of. But, kind of. But this rendition of the character is highly specific to here and now yeah and kyle do you want to put a hat on what i'm alluding to here fucking incel dude with a twitch stream yeah (laughs) thank you so much for teaching me how to make bombs you guys are great yeah Uh, yeah Yeah. Uh, that that's that was an unexpected element to the narrative where I, i should have seen it coming but i didn't i didn't expect the studios to be like in such a hurry to to talk about this sort of thing like now like i thought this was going to be a few years down the we road. need to start making fun of these people it needs to happen i agree i agree because <laughs> they need to be put down a peg or two no there are some very interesting themes at work and this one was like holy shit this is <laughs> remember all those losers that really love the joker i'm sorry that's not fair Do you remember all those guys that were way too into the joaquin phoenix joker we have to like we have to bash on them a little bit make sure they know that this is not for this well is- that that's the kind of scary part about things like this about a tentpole like giant movies like this is that they do have the potential to inspire people the wrong way exactly or like I've, I've long used this as an example scarface yeah <laughs> i think that is the poster child for this is not how you were supposed to take this yeah the, the brian de palma scarface is one of those <laughs> movies where it's like there is a right way and a wrong way, way to, to watch it. this movie yeah and I'm pretty sure 85, 90% of people out there watch it the wrong way. <laughs> Two ways to watch it. Drunk or, man, this is crazy. I would never do anything like yeah, this. And by extension, Wolf of Wall Street also, I think, inspired a lot of assholes to get the wrong message. I Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Because there's a lot of glamorous shit in that movie that looks incredible. And Jordan Belfort, as far as I understand, is doing incredibly well right now. NFTs. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's killing it right now, as far as I know. Um, and also, oh, we, we have stories like this where it's like, I could totally see some people getting the wrong message from this. Very much. Um, yeah. We, put, we, yeah. 
put the kibosh on that. <laughs> I think we're okay to say kibosh. I was watching South Park, and I, PC Principal didn't bring it up, so I think okay, we're okay. okay. I think we're in the clear. <laughs> I think we're in the clear. But yeah, uh, the the this particular rendition of the character is, as far as I understand, totally isolated to just this film, and it's very, very contemporary. Well, I wanted to ask you, because the... Uh, the uh, the Jim Carrey Riddler is supposed to be obsessed with um, Bruce Wayne specifically. Bruce yeah. Wayne. So is that is that from the comics at all, or was that just Schumacher's take? Which is an interesting idea on him. I've never personally read any comics where that was the case. Um, Riddler oftentimes he's he's kind of a prima donna, like he he's attention starved. Like he like I feel like the, oh, yeah. the way the Riddler ends up in this movie, like his his end point in this narrative feels like what I'm accustomed to for the the Riddler where he's starved for attention and yeah. he'll do whatever crazy shit he needs to to get the the media lens fixate on him or get Batman wrapped up in his bullshit. And that's a good I mean that's a the, the, I I the, think th- I think the idea on paper is actually I mean it we we've literally seen this story play out in real life multiple times in the past few years also we saw this i think this is when i why i checked out was i'm like i watched this in the dark night i watched the the joker hold court on the tv like oh look i've got this guy i'm gonna fucking kill him and that's kind of what the joker's doing but he's adding like saw contraptions or like trying to make a game out of it basically it just doesn't really it just kind of hits like a thud for me like it just didn't really work the idea i did really like the idea of the joker like this though this is where i i kind of wish we had an r rating for this movie actually i think you're right because we do have a couple of like hands-on murder sequences featuring this character that i feel like with a little bit of gore a little Mm -hmm. bit more intensity something more visceral that you feel yeah Yeah, because that that's what i was missing was because the joker as you said in the dark knight has he has like news reports and like media footage of him interspersed throughout the film but that's not all no like, like there's I, more i hate to say it again covid production yeah wouldn't be surprised if maybe there was intentions to have more on the set scenes with paul dano yeah instead we get cell phone footage still it's still a very good performance but it's all conveyed through a through a phone, phone. which yes. is which is not satisfying to look at it's when i walked out of the theater so if you're like what was this like on the big screen like i can tell you what it was it fucking sucked i have no issue with his performance but but i i wish he occupied a greater space in the narrative however from a thematic standpoint the whole point is that he's supposed to be anonymous he's supposed Mm -hmm. to he's supposed to be just an unknown entity in gotham Mm -hmm. where it, it wouldn't be appropriate to have him parading around the streets and put on a big show or something that's the whole point is that all all of his lookalikes share in the blame of his scheme and stuff so it it, it works and it doesn't but i think it mostly works um especially his demeanor mm-hmm. which i think is highly appropriate for the character in any incarnation where mm-hmm. he's he is a feeb like, yeah. like, like like he even admits to it he's like i'm not physical yeah. <laughs> but i think that um i think what the riddler i think it'd be better like the Riddler needs to be a very intelligent character, an intelligently intelligently written character, and that needs to be his power. So when you outsmart him, that's really it. That's really where he gets he feels the pain. But there was something about the scene where he has to sit down. So spoiler alert: Riddler was in the uh, Arkham Arkham Orphanage uh, with Bruce Wayne, so he's known the whole time who he is. Like he he's he's pieced together that he's Batman basically, um, and he was. I don't know that he does. He does know. 
he doesn't he say to him he's just like i know it's you like i know it's bruce. he says it bruce wayne like i know it's you that's a that's an interesting detail because the way i interpreted that scene and i i really like that scene actually especially considering that it has it has the whole deck stacked against it considering how familiar that territory is it's like we've seen this with heath ledger we've seen this with javier bardem in the james bond films mm-hmm. the interrogation yeah. room or yeah. whatever you want to call it we've seen this, down, we've, yeah. we've done this dance many times in recent memory so like to execute it well that's like a bravo moment on the part of the filmmakers and the actors what i got from that scene and i found it very fascinating is that bruce wayne starts that scene batman and I think he's standing in the room as Bruce Wayne during this sequence. Mm-hmm. This is talking, he, he shifts character because like he's teary-eyed and he's facing away and he looks like a, he looks like a 10 year old who's a, who knows that dad's going to come home and see, and see that he like shit on the carpet or something. Like he's, he's like waiting for a punishment basically. And the Riddler keeps saying to him like Bruce Wayne, like he keeps shying the name at him. And it's not until like two minutes into that conversation that the Riddler says says to him, "We we almost got them all except for Bruce Wayne." Oh, but the the like the pace of his speech makes him think that he knows. He spends the first half of that conversation think he thinking he's been found out and that he can no longer be Batman oh, okay. and that his imaginary friend is going to die. Okay, um, and then he he his stance shifts he becomes stronger and he actually starts participating in the conversation okay so because even the the photos on the wall in his apartment suggest like he figured the shit out yeah that's what i thought yeah that's what I, either, I either that he detail. either he figured it out and is unwilling to admit it, but the way that conversation played out to me was that he slips that like he still he was still gunning for bruce wayne gotcha so if he didn't kill bruce wayne then who's this yeah and um so then, why does he, uh, why does he think that Batman's helping him? Does what? What was that? I I didn't understand that connection there. I think it mostly came down to Falcone, because the other ones clearly he he took care of himself. Yeah, like like he, he got Gill, <laughs> he got the mayor, um, and he got the commissioner. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, that's another instance of Batman being immensely ineffectual. Like they find they find out that the commissioner was murdered while he was you know yeah. farting around town with Gordon. <laughs> like you see, they see it on the news. He's like, "Oh, that happened. Your boss is dead." <laughs> I'm sorry. Batman, do you think I should try the Baconator? Yes. Okay, I think you're right. I'll yeah, I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a piece of cheese between two pieces of chicken. That's a great idea for a sandwich. That's KFC Stacker. Yeah. Who needs the bread? Who needs the bread? Who needs the carbs? Those are delicious, by the way. Empty calories. <laughs> Gordon, don't waste your time with bread. Um, do you like blueberries? Uh, you blueberries. Um, Good antioxidants. Why? <laughs> Cancer prevention. Uh, do you? So. He thinks that Batman's helping him because he pulled him out. Like I, th- I think it's mostly specifically Falcone. Like he, he's kind of pulling. He's like guiding him by the nose. Like he thinks that they're working together, but it, I think it mostly comes down to helping to get Falcone out, helping to turn the cops on to Falcone, okay. and helping to usher him out the front door. Oh, um, my problem was is I hate the. I hate the Paul Dano moment. The the Paul Dano moment that I was excited for. I hate the oh, like this is not how this was supposed to go. 
I fucking hated that delivery. It, ru- it ruined the whole scene for me, and I hated that that ruined it for me because I'm like, I wanted that 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 obnoxious Paul Dano delivery. I'll agree. I, I that line in particular okay. is delivered very strangely. It's, uh, the cadence is strange. Yeah, it's strange. It would um, <laughs> be better if he reacted like. It's all, like, he realizes that he's now in a fucking prison cell. And, like, this is not how this was supposed to go, but... Like, starts having, like, a meltdown or something. I think the justification is that he is not rational. Like, like he is supposed to be here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That is very true, yeah. Because his, his, all of his attention is fixated on Batman and how disappointed he is in him. Yeah. Like, he's not upset that he's here. In fact, that's actually part of the plan. Like, he says to Batman, like, the plan was for you to be in here with me <laughs> in Arkham, watching the explosions. Like, that was the end game. So he knew, he knew he was going to get there if everything came together, and it mostly did. Yeah. Because this Batman's incompetent. <laughs> he tries hard, though. He tries hard. <laughs> that's all you can really ask from him. He's got good hustle. <laughs> But um, yeah, that that delivery is strange. But on the whole, I I did think that Paul Dano made something of very little. Um, his placement in the story is is unfortunate in that he has so little quote screen time. Like the character occupies space with the other characters so little that it's it's unfortunate in that way. Um, interesting though to to have a Batman story where the villain gets this many wins. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah. not often they succeed that often and readily and decisively. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, his his ultimate plan uh, results in like all of his uh, doppelgangers, or his followers, as he calls them. Yeah. Which is actually another instance of that Forest for the Trees shit I keep going on and on about. Where um, they, He mentions on some of the earlier videos he, he puts out there to the public that he has followers. I've got like five followers on Instagram. There's a few on Twitter. <laughs> I think it. I think they're smart about it. I think they say it's only like 500. That's way too many. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. How, I mean, it's obviously we don't know how these circles operate, but they unfortunately do. Yeah, they do. Um, but yeah, he has like 500 followers. But he mentions that and nobody seems to be like examining that. Like like backtracing that like trying to hunt down who the other people involved in this might be they're all fixated on the riddler um but as far as the backstory for the for the character that was a really interesting element of things where um i think they name him edward nashton although he is he he's shown to have more than one driver's license yeah so so we don't actually know his name uh edward nigma is supposed to be the 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 riddler's name although enigma's yeah. Pretty convenient. Did you give yourself this name? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there was there was a whole bunch of shit. That, parts of this movie feel like a troll uh, meant to, uh, I don't know, drive people like me nuts. And people that are more into the shit than me. Like basically trolling the Redditors. Because there's so many goddamn references to oh. Batman lore and shit over the years. Because gotcha. the main the main thing, and I'll just give you the broad strokes of it, is we have the Waynes, the Arkhams, and in some versions of the Batman comics, the Arkhams are people. Yes. Oh, yeah. like are they it's a, a family? Are they like Slytherin? I'm guessing if they have. Yeah. I mean, they're generally not cool people. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling. Um, but yeah, the, there's the Waynes, who we all know, and then there's the Arkhams, and in this movie, 
and not in every version of the Batman story, in this movie and in some of the comics, uh, Martha Wayne was originally in Arkham, and they got married. So the two families came together. So like old families of Gotham's past. And then we have the Elliots, who in the comics in Batman Hush, which was written by Jeff Loeb, uh, we have Edward Elliot, uh, who basically his son was like a, a friend of Bruce Wayne's back in the day, and the families are intertwined to some degree. Um, and the Riddler is strongly suggested to be the son that's being talked about there. And the, like a huge part of his personal vendetta with the Waynes is that that was the big contentious subject for, for Bruce Wayne in his relation to his father, where his father uh, asked Carmine Falcone to like pinch a dude uh, named Edward Elliot, who was a journalist who was talking shit, um, and that resulted in the death of that guy, who ultimately resulted in the orphaning of this Riddler character, who, as Kyle had said, apparently grew up in the the orphanage, owned and operated by the Waynes. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, so it it's interesting, actually. We we have our three principal characters. We have our our Batman, our Catwoman, and our Riddler, who are all orphans, uh, who all deal with their trauma in various ways they all have to suit up for it though apparently (laughs) ultimately that's the that's the best way to process things (laughs) did you have any more about the riddler i mean there's there's tons more but we should move on uh next is your favorite the music oh shit um yeah the music in this as i said is done by michael giacchino uh who is one of those funny composers that i want to say always puts out fantastic work but it's not memorable like it it doesn't like live in your head like i i don't remember the themes of his movies but almost every score i've listened to of his is pleasant to listen to Uh, he's worked in animation for like pixar quite a bit um he actually i think one of his earliest uh, gigs was doing um the medal of honor soundtrack for the playstation game oh really (laughs) yeah uh so that was a dreamworks production um but that actually kind of points to one of my ongoing problems with his scores is that Medal of Honor was seemingly specifically tailored to have the look and feel of a Spielberg production which often means John Williams musical accompaniment so he began his career aping John Williams to some degree and I want to say that's like one of the ongoing things in his in his career as a composer of film scores is he I often feel other, I feel other composers coming out of his work. Okay. Like, one of his earlier uh, collaborations with Matt Reeves, director of this film, uh, was the only piece of music for Cloverfield. Uh, plays over the credits. It's yeah. called it's called Roar. No idea. Well, <laughs> long story short, that piece of music that plays over the credits is intended to directly reference old Godzilla scores. Okay. And it has that vibe to it. It actually would have been perfectly acceptable in a Godzilla film, honestly. It's the only piece of music composed for that movie, as far as I know. But the thing I'm getting at here is that imitation seems to be a thing that is an ongoing theme in his career. It's like his scores often carry the vibe of other scores. So, um, for instance, here I noticed uh, some seemingly direct references to Hans Zimmer's work on The Dark Knight Rises in particular. 
I'm just I'm just gonna go ahead and let you know I noticed one song this entire entire movie because it. We'll get to that in a second. No, no, no. I'm just saying I noticed absolutely nothing else. There was no other score that I picked okay. up in this. Well, film. I, I I do want to zero in on exactly what you're alluding to because okay. I I know what it is. I read your notes. <laughs> and there's a there's a I think a not so happy thought immediately following that. Yeah. <laughs> think happy thought. No, no, I refuse. Um, but yeah, I noticed some like angry brass that kind of reminded me of Bane's theme from uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, there's some cadences also that felt very similar to The Dark Knight Rises. Catwomen, Catwoman, Catwomen, Catwomen, Catwomen's, Catwomen's theme. Uh, it feels like an explicit reference to Danny Elfman's work on Batman Returns. Like I, I don't know how you can not put the two together they feel so very similar um i felt like john powell like some of his work on the Bourne movies from time to time there's some electronics and piano in there i even got a little bit of like don davis in there uh during the car chase um don davis composed the uh, the matrix films okay um the the sprawl as i call it <laughs> no, there's a particular type of brass that he does but um but the, the major contribution to the score, the most obvious one anyway, is the Batman theme, which, as I've said, I will often question Kyle about, like, where would you place this theme amongst the pantheon of Batman themes? I didn't hear a theme. I, I, I Are you I, fucking kidding me? I'm telling you, I, I was stopping you because I'm like, I have absolutely no music in my head from this movie. None. Are you gonna? Are you gonna? Find nothing. As I say, there was one song that I picked up on. I heard absolutely no other music. Okay. And I was listening okay. to it, and I had a great sound system playing while watching. Jesus this. fucking Christ! <laughs> the place I'm staying at right now has a great, great sound system. Je- okay. Uh, I got nothing. I'm gonna have to do some vocal performance. Here. <laughs> I can pull it up. I no, can... no, 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 no! You don't do that. <laughs> you got it. You I got. got it. I got to hype mic in front of me. I'm not a. I'm not a singer. All right. So here we go. Here we go. Yeah. I need to. Need to get get it right. I, I've got it. I'm okay, so it. so I'm gonna actually take us through history. Yeah, so I'm gonna take us from Danny Elfman up oh. into. Uh, you now. don't need to do Danny Elfman. I got Danny Elfman. <laughs> That's fine. I, okay. Well, I actually had multiple interpretations, multiple lyrics, if you will, <laughs> that you could that you could set to the Batman theme in this film, and it's. I'm the Batman, I'm the Batman, or hi, I'm Batman, hi, I'm Batman, or hey, I'm Batman, hey, I'm Batman. Do Batman Returns, I'm gonna do Batman Returns, how would you sing it? Batman, Batman, can you do Batman Forever? Batman, 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 perfect. Batman, Batman. Okay, okay. Now, now. Okay, can you just one more time do the current Batman one? The the Batman. I'm the Batman. Okay. I'm the Batman. I do not remember that. Oh my god! It 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 is everywhere. It is all over this movie. Well, then he did his job for me because but, but I don't that, want to... That's why I put lyrics to it, though, Kyle. It's yeah. because it is that simple. Okay. Is boom, 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 boom. Well, it's... But that's why it's versatile. It's because it's dirt fucking simple. Well, it's... It's, it's, it's brooding, but that's... But, but, but... It, this is what's kind of cool. So, so Kyle, like, I don't, I don't love this movie, but I do... I'm fascinated in this movie. 
Like, I, I do think there's so much work in this movie, and I haven't even said half of what there no. is to be said about it. But um, from a thematic standpoint, from a musical standpoint, I feel like it's like what Bruce Wayne is saying to himself in the in the cape and cowl. I'm the Batman. Like, I'm the Batman. Okay. I'm the Batman. And then he. I'm the Batman. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. And what's more, there's a secondary theme that upon initially watching the film and listening to the score because they actually put out pieces of the music very early um it i love when this happens kyle because this is so seldom in film this movie is promoted with its score like was it? yeah the early trailers for this movie actually had the theme i'll take your word for it and i love when that happens when the music that is in the commercial is actually part of the movie and that even extends into like some of the uh, the later trailers as well but this secondary theme which um when warner brothers put out this this one piece of music that was simply called the batman Mm -hmm. it has two halves and the last half of it is i'm the batman but the first half of it is a much sweeter more hopeful melody that i i'm starting to interpret as like bruce wayne's theme slash the city of gotham's theme because it initially plays in the movie when he pulls up to the funeral as bruce wayne Mm -hmm. um as far as i recall it also shows up towards the finale as well um but i think both themes are very very strong uh the the bruce wayne theme the more hopeful one the more melodic one um is it's an earworm like i i really enjoy it um even more so than the uh the bad (laughs) um but yeah, the, the versatility of that theme, it it really is dirt fucking simple, but as a tool to, to like creating a soundscape, it's wonderful. Because yeah. like all you have to do is put that over dark imagery and the viewer is just like, oh, Batman's coming or Batman's supposed to be here or the energy of Batman is felt, which it, as evidenced by the opening sequence where we see Gotham and he's not actually on screen, but we that melody is starting to creep in and we're like, looking for him in in shots where he's absent okay listen you should this is a score that you should listen to i'm pulling i'm pulling it up on my spotify so that I have it's, it. it's not i wouldn't say it's my favorite batman score it's certainly not my ba- favorite batman theme but i was pleasantly surprised um the car chase theme is propulsive and energetic and has totally different instrumentation from the rest of the film um the, there's many many remixes of the theme oh um the the action finale version of the theme music almost feels like the adam west era a little bit like it gets a little hokey (laughs) which is kind of neat um but yeah it was a it was a nice listen Uh, i i was pleasantly surprised because as i said i i I always appreciate his work michael giacchino but i don't think i've ever sat down and listened to any of it in isolation just because i don't I don't walk away from the theater ever remembering it but this one actually i got a few cues in here okay yeah um, yeah, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to listen to the, uh, the soundtrack to see, because I, I did not pick up on anything except for one song, um, Take it away. <laughs> Something in the Way by Nirvana, which is one of the most depressing Nirvana songs. Um, I do use it, though, when I talk about eating fish, because <laughs> um, fish ain't got no feelings. Fish don't have no feelings. True facts. Yeah. <laughs> I said that to, I said it to my partner, I was like, like I don't feel bad. I feel bad about eating mammals or kill. Like I don't like mammals being killed. 
I'm like, I don't feel anything towards fish because they don't have any feelings. She's like, fish have feelings? I'm like, you don't get it. You Kirk, don't get the... Kurt Cobain says it. Kurt Cobain says it. But yeah, <laughs> it's such a depressing song, but when it came up in the movie, I'm like, fuck off. What? <laughs> Unless you are Seal writing the song for the movie... <laughs> We do, I, it should be orchestral. That should be all that's coming in, or just like tone, like just like keyboard tones. Boom, boom. Yeah. Okay, so I I mostly agree with you, but I'm I'm curious where this argument stems from because it sounds like this is an argument of principle. Yes, it's both. It's both. It's principle. This kind of contemporary music should not be in Batman. Contemporary. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's contemporary. It's contemporary. Uh, I don't know how. How would you describe it? Modern. I. I, get, I don't know. It, I, I'm, it's I'm an old man. It's a know. different. It's a different style. Like this kind of music shouldn't be in here. It should just be this. It like, is, orchestral. It is strange, because it. it and also, there, there's some other little things I noticed. It's that, lazy. Sorry. Mm, it's lazy. Mm, Go. Fine. Keep going. <laughs> okay, so, like I said, I feel like this argument is stemming from principle, which I actually shared with you. I, I, in general, fictional properties, especially superhero movies. I'm looking at you, fucking Daredevil. Yeah. Ben Affleck, Daredevil. We love you, Ben, but but that movie has some issues. Mm-hmm. Director's cut slightly better, but like licensed music there we go it, it creates a a, a a strange vibe where it's like hang on so you mean spider-man sam raimi's spider-man you mean macy gray exists in the marvel universe yeah apparently yeah. <laughs> like she, she's on the set she's there so macy gray exists in, in that universe um and similarly we have a situation where kurt cobain and the band nirvana exists in this version of the dc universe mm-hmm. which is weird yeah. Um, and also we have a, a, a very rare thing where we actually pinpoint a couple of dates in this movie where the footage of his dad running for mayor's office is like 2001 I think mm. so it's like we're placing this story now. In, here yeah. now as in like his dad was killed 20 years ago which places it right here and now um, and yeah Nirvana means that that happened that means that that's there it's weird but I didn't mind it actually, because in principle I, I agree with you. I think it, I I disagree with that in general. But its placement and the vibe it presents, I thought was fairly appropriate. I it, maybe it bugged me more because I know the story behind the song, and it absolutely has nothing to do with this movie. Like it has nothing to do with any of the theme. I ah <laughs> maybe, but. It was the song allegedly was about Kurt living underneath a bridge, like he was homeless for a while, and he was living under a bridge, and he was literally fishing for food under the bridge, and uh, I think he was struggling with. I don't even know if he was struggling with drugs at the time, but he was just actually homeless for a little while. And it, it, the, the 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 song choice, it's very, it's very, it's a downer. It's a very depressing song, but I feel like it's a lazy way to set the tone. I feel like you can do that better because lyrically, I don't think that the themes match up if that's what you were going for. I think there's a way that you could spin that to make sense. Apparently the story behind why it's included in the film is that the director was listening to it on repeat while he was writing the film. Oh, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's more, they they actually kind of like, they, they're keenly aware of the fact that people are going to object to this to the point that they actually make the song diegetic. Yeah. 
Um, it's fascinating actually because we we learn like through him turning the volume down that he's journaling while he's listening to this song. So this Bruce Wayne, this quote emo Bruce Wayne that people like to call it. Thank you. Yes. He's doing his journaling post like nightly patrol while nice. listening to the, the most depressing of fucking songs and as and as evidenced by him playing the same song a week later because that's where the story goes this the story takes place over the course of a week he's he's once the narration is once again him journaling and presumably listening to the same song it's not a, that's not a song to be into that's one you listen to very specific times in your life and it's a one it's a, it's a one and then maybe you'll revisit it one day but not I one mean, week after week wouldn't be surprised if they like take it a step further because apparently people like renewed interest in Nirvana and this song in particular has really grown as a result of the film I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they do it like a Guardians of the Galaxy thing and have it be him listening to the song when his parents were killed people that don't live in Washington may have a <laughs> maybe uh, uh, have a yeah if you put on a radio out here it's just there <laughs> if you've been to a bar if you've watched a sporting event it's, you are yeah. tired of anything yeah. grunge in yeah. This. It, yeah it's just ever present yeah. it's, it's just here you get angry if you're out at the bar and you hear <laughs> Pearl Jam calling, just shut it off. <laughs> um, yeah, I wasn't crazy about it. I'm still not crazy about that. But yeah, from choice. a thematic standpoint, maybe you could argue that there there is a lot of... They don't like zero in on it, but there's a lot of themes of class class and societal relations in this mm-hmm. film. Like they, There's like one curious shot where like Catwoman and Batman are driving on their motorcycles past like just like a homeless person rooting around the garbage yeah and like one major thing that i i haven't heard talked about much is the drop heads the what there's a drug problem oh yeah i forgot about the drop that is referenced numerous times and i think it's very very deliberate on the part of the production that this is a problem that is seen and acknowledged but never acted on yeah that sounds pretty familiar and this is why i say this is a very contemporary story is that it's like ah you're you're holding up the mirror to to yeah. current day American society. Can't yeah. speak for the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, no. But yeah, that's that's an ever present thing. Is that like there's paraphernalia? There's like when they go to the orphanage, like even Gordon, he, like shines a flashlight, and they even have like a jump scare, like like orchestra sting, and he's like, drop it, let's go down this hall. <laughs> like I'm not gonna do shit about that right now. <laughs> uh, let me see here just kind of curious about something where is mr Rat- matt reeves from uh, i know he's american uh, he's from new york new york okay all right i got my gun let's go do a bat race show. <laughs> <laughs> uh so the future of the bat i think that's how we kind of wanted to wrap it up yeah uh the future of, of the batman of this particular iteration i'm assuming Okay, so uh, calling back to a thing that happened two hours ago, uh, Kyle mentioned that uh, Alfred, he expects him to die. Yeah, I think I, I will put money down that Alfred will die. <laughs> he will die. Okay, so I don't. Someone's gonna die, because that's a, that's a very big part of this Bruce Wayne is that he, he mentions and we see it evidenced by his actions in the film that uh, he doesn't fear death. Mm-hmm. he fears for the lives of people he's close to exactly which is why he doesn't like to be close to people yeah um alfred is the obvious choice i'm thinking down the road um jason todd we haven't had a robin on film since batman and robin i'm fine with that 
Me too. Yeah. <laughs> like, if I'm being 100% honest, me too. Not a big Robin fan over here. Any any version of the character. Damien Wayne, get the fuck out. Nobody likes you, Damien. Bruce Wayne has a son named Damien. Oh, of course. That's a he, good he, name. he bangs Talia, and she poops out a baby named Damien who wants to kill him at one point. He sucks. He sucks. Don't get me wrong. I like Chris O'Donnell as the Robin. He's, it's, he's it, fun. It's fun. He's, he's fun. He's a fun Robin. Yeah. I like... Yeah, he's... he's He's good energy. I'm not gonna say he's great, but he's fine. He's fine. I think he's he was funny when I was a kid. He was like the comic relief of of uh, at least Batman and Robin. Yeah, he has an earring. He's yeah. he's extreme. Yeah, he does, ex- he does extreme laundry. Woo, woo. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we haven't had a Robin in a very long time. Ugh. Could you imagine if we had Joseph Gordon-Levitt? If they would have actually, if he actually would have committed to that, like having him. If he Robin? kept doing that accent, uh, we would have problems. I'm fine. Yeah, because whatever the fuck he was doing in that, no, no, you got a guy here. Good without him. Thank but yeah, uh, Dick Grayson, of course, is the classic Robin. He's that's the Chris O'Donnell one. That that story with the circus performing and whatnot. I don't see how this Batman is going to develop a new relationship. Go ahead. Jason Todd is the one I I expect. Who's Jason Todd? So Jason Todd is the middle Robin. So there was Tim Drake, who was the good Robin that we all love. But I, I had no idea you had this much knowledge about Batman. This is kind of incredible. <laughs> so Dick Grayson's our first. He's the OG. He's he's the trapeze artist. Then we got Jason Todd. He sucks. He's a hooligan. Okay. He get he he is caught by Batman trying to steal the tires off of the Batmobile. He's a hooligan. Okay. He's no he's no good Nick. No good Nick. Yeah. Tim Drake. He's cool. We all love Tim Drake. Okay. But he's kind of dull. He's he's cool. Okay. But Jason Todd, he's got a mean streak. In fact, I think Jason, I think Jason killed a dude. <laughs> yeah, Jason Todd is a hooligan, but he's picked up by Batman as a project. Batman's like, I can save this kid. I can make him better. And Jason Todd is mostly known for his death. He was the Robin that the Joker killed. Okay. Um, and if you want to in wrestling terms push the joker <laughs> like that's that's how you take barry K- kogan's joker and make a thing out of it because i i wasn't terribly impressed by the performance as of yet what little we've seen have you seen the deleted scene yeah I, I watched it with the director's commentary also it's interesting apparently this version of the character is supposed to be not yet the joker and his scars are a result of a skin condition no acid bath Mm. <laughs> but yeah, Jason Todd is the Robin who is killed. Okay, you have it here, folks. So you're you're saying that it's going to be Jason Todd that's going to get. I it. think Jason Todd is go- because, as I said, I there's some themes at work because social justice, man, social commentary is pretty popular with the kids these days. Okay, Joker made a billion dollars. Would not be surprised if you know the teenagers are the ones that are going ape shit about this movie. Have we ever killed Alfred? Uh, he died in the comics, like, recently. Mm. Long after I stopped giving a shit. But, oh, okay. but but he's generally a here-forever character. Like, he, he is always here. Like, Aunt May dies occasionally. Alfred, generally, he's alive. Aunt May died in the movie I just watched. Um, <laughs> uh, Tough lady. Tough lady. I'm going with. I think. I still think it's gonna be offered. I think okay. Well, gonna some be. somebody's gonna die yeah. because we we certainly put a hat on that where it's like this Batman. That's the thing he fears most. What have we not done in a while? Let's let's somebody gotta get axed. But I think they're gonna. I think because they 
they think they have a new bond now, and I think that that relationship, his relationship with Alfred, is going to be very important moving forward. So it's going to be all, it's going to be, it's going to be hard when he dies. So I think, I think that's going to, that's going to ignite him. I think that's going to be very frustrating because, I, honestly, The Dark Knight, I wasn't expecting Rachel to die. That was actually kind of shocking when I watched it. I'm like, oh shit, they just fucking <laughs> killed her. I did not see that coming. <laughs> Yeah, but long story short, someone will die. Yeah. Um, what uh, villains do you think are going to pop up next? Well, uh, you can tell that they were just kind of like throwing shit out there, but the the green canister, the adrenaline shot or whatever. I'm kind of excited for a Bane. I don't know if he has a place in this universe, because Christopher Nolan's Batman was very grounded, mm-hmm. but it, it had some whimsy to it yeah, this one's pretty grounded this one seems even more it grounded seem honestly more grounded. like like the riddler guys they're using hunting rifles Although like we are making up a different like a drug like drop yeah we heads. do have drop heads we do have drop heads um, so we, we, you know, we drugs and drugs are still if it's can we can we have that can we have a grounded batman but also have like mad scientist shit going on i mean i i would love to see things get crazy and have like a man bat or, like Oof. like I've, I've always said like just because it's a superhero movie doesn't mean we have to make it in slam bang action thriller it's like sure. you could just have a horror story yeah i mean you could just have some like not necessarily a serial killer but you could have batman fucking fighting clayface you I could have fucking clayface i don't think you could have killer fucking croc <laughs> i mean bane is basically just a super bodybuilder like he's taking like crazy steroids like super devil juice super devil juice <laughs> like you could just i don't really feel like it's that out of the realm of possibility to have a bane and it be pretty cool i well, think it could happen the problem is that they already shot their shoot shot <laughs> they shooted their shot they shot at their shit yeah. <laughs> because tom hardy's bane is underwhelming i love I love the performance, but I hate what they did with the character because he turns into a puppy dog at the end. Like he's he's a lackey by the end of that, and it's Fucking like a simp. Yeah, he literally is. Yeah, he's, yeah, it's unreciprocated love. It's, it's fucking sad. Man. Yeah, a lot of triggering words. So. <laughs> I know. For I think real. we're really gonna thin out what kind of fan base we have moving uh, forward. But Bane as a character, as I said at the beginning of this three-hour discussion, he's where my journey with Batman began. Like, he was the reason I picked up Same a Batman here. comic. Very, very, very. Yeah, I remember. I, I actually, folks at home, I actually shared with Kyle the cover art uh, to uh, the issue wherein Bane breaks Batman's back. And he was like, that's the one! Yeah. I actually know this one! <laughs> I understood that reference! And that's very rare for Kyle in Batman comics. It's true. But yeah, Bane was my introduction to Batman. In comic form, anyway. So, he, I, I have endless amounts of hype for that character. But the way he's utilized in that comic is part of why he's so fucking cool is that he's he's supposed to he's supposed to be a later player in his in his rogues gallery he doesn't make sense until you until he's until he's had time to like tussle with the joker and scarecrow and two-face and all those other people uh okay so i think that poison ivy is totally reasonable i think that we can make her work because he's poison like he doesn't have to be a necessary plant lady i think they can make it work um, the I'm, fuck would she do? <laughs> they could come up with something. I think that I think that we could we can ground her. Um, Anna Taylor Joy. How much you want to bet that she would be? Uh, she would be. I don't think there's a director on the planet that isn't trying to get her that, for something. Yeah, <laughs> she's great. She's great. Yeah, <laughs> she's bu- she's busy right now. 
She's great. She's been, <laughs> she's been busy since like 2010. It's them uh, eyes, man. Yeah, I uh, and that waistline. Yeah, I'm telling you, I think that she would. I think she could be. I think she could be Poison Ivy, and I think they could ground Poison Ivy. Mr. Freeze is off the table. Like, he's absolutely <laughs> not happening. There's no no way that's going to Arnold happen. put his stamp on that. <laughs> you can't touch it. You can't touch it. <laughs> uh, the animated series, Mr. Freeze, is really good. It's very good. Yeah. But that's the same story. Yeah. No, no, I mean, I like, his char- Like, you just can't no, ground his what character. What I'm saying really. is, what's what's the next step for that character what's the other angle to play because we've done it we've taken two swings at it it's the same thing it's the same fucking thing (laughs) i meant like trying to his abilities like trying to ground his abilities into real life yeah you can't have a guy running around with a freeze gun with a dodge charger as the batmobile (laughs) i'm not talking about their stories i'm talking about their abilities that's what i'm saying like poison ivy i'm like i don't know what her story would be but you could absolutely have a poison ivy in this world like you would you could come up with something where yeah she's toxic somehow (laughs) that's what it is she's just a She's just a really, really mean lady. <laughs> she's just a there's piece a, there's of a shit. choice word that I really wanted to use just yeah. then, but only Harrison and Jordan are privy to that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. She's just, she's just, a she's piece just of really. Shit. Mm, yeah. E. yeah, she's just really. really <laughs> All right, what else you got? Uh, Leslie Tompkins. She's a doctor lady that helps Bruce Wayne. Uh, she, as far as I recall, she knows who he is. Um, the reason I bring her up is because of the dropheads situation. Oh, okay. She often works in public outreach. Some lady has to know at some point. She's like the equivalent of like Moira McTaggart from the X-Men. Scottish lady. Knows Professor X. They get chummy and shit. You are just right yeah, over my head. Yeah, I've mentioned Hush already. Um, he's also a late player in Batman's rogues gallery. And also, we seem to have confirmed that uh, the Riddler's connected to the family that's mentioned um, in relation to Hush. But... Um, there's a really cool book that I've actually almost lent to you a couple times called Gates of Gotham. Um, it's actually, it takes place when Dick Grayson is Batman. Um, so Robin is Batman. That's stupid. <laughs> it, it was neat. Uh, I, there's a couple of good stories from that period. But Gates of Gotham, the reason I bring it up is because there's a keyhole motif uh, in Falcone's office in this film, uh, which made me think of that, where uh, a lot of the storytelling has to do with the antiquated uh, architecture of Gotham and a lot of the mysteries surrounding like the legacy families of the city um, and like probing their, their depths to solve mysteries and whatnot. So um, the Court of Owls is like the big one that I, I hypothesized may be a part of this film. Didn't turn out to be the case. Um, I don't know if they would be represented the way they were in the comics though because that involves uh, like zombie assassin people dressed like uh, owls, okay. which I don't think would be welcome in this film really awesome comic though um but the the idea of a grand conspiracy uh is all over this film um and it seems to be a popular concept these days uh so that would be a road to go down as well um but yeah uh, those are the only theories i think i have at the moment i don't even have theories uh <laughs> i was say i think you know way more about batman than i do i'm like i actually compared to you i have no theories that uh other than the riddler's gonna or that joker's gonna kill um, not necessarily Joker, but uh, Alfred will die. Yeah, I'm curious if they're if they're going to bring the Joker out for that part too, because the director seems to be not super keen on that. Like he wants to hold back, um, but we'll see, we'll see. Um, but yeah, you want to talk about that ending real quick? Uh, what ending? <laughs> that sequence where 
Batman's fighting all the goons and stuff. I I was almost completely checked out at this point. Well, it's what plays out after that. Um, there's that moment where I, I was spinning that theory about Batman being horribly ineffectual in this movie and yeah. Bruce Wayne possibly being a more effective savior of Gotham. What was the master plan? Was it just water? I'm like, water. That, that's what the <laughs> master plan was. They did that to corral... Like, to prevent the mayor from being able to escape. They wanted to assassinate the mayor-elect. The, the um, the bl- uh, Bella Real. Oh, Bella Real, okay. Yeah, they wanted to assassinate they her. They suck, though. Um, I really would have loved it if some of those those goons were, like, paunchy and, like, feeble. I think that might have been a little too on the nose. That would have been, that would have been so great, though. <laughs> And also, you need to have instances where they call in and they're like, oh, I got lost, or my GPS crapped out on me, or uh, I couldn't make it there. They want, the, they want this movie to make money. We can't make I know. <laughs> well, yeah, as we said about Scarface and stuff, it's like, you don't have control of who's going to see this movie, <laughs> so you may want to leave it open-ended. Let's remember who's going to be paying for tickets to this. Yeah, it was about a white guy, young white guy billionaire <laughs> punching people, punching homeless people. <laughs> Unjustifiably in a position I'd rather not be in. Uh, but yes, uh, yeah. So okay, so they were like water. They were gonna get Bella Real. Yeah, that was what all those bombs were for, just to get water. Like it seems like a long walk for a small drink of water. Yeah, no. I mean, if you could, if you could get that many guns into that building. I feel like the Joker was just like that's not how I would have used those bombs. That's much better. Well. I mean, he doesn't say it in the movie, but maybe the Joker thought it was funny how how big he went for something so simple. Yeah, I think he, he gives him the speech that the dude doesn't blow to Johnny Depp. He's like, yeah, you got busted for weed. You had the wrong dream. You need to be selling cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same, yeah. But I just wanted to, to spotlight that uh, really beautiful image, uh, the red shot, the overhead shot of him oh, in the water. I, yeah. Well, you didn't like it? Well, it's a nice shot, but it's like, for what? Like, he's just... I don't... I, I didn't understand... I didn't get it. <laughs> it's fine. You don't have to. It's a nice... Don't get me wrong. It is a nice shot, but it's just like... It It, it was wasted on a, a plot device that just didn't really go anywhere for me. See, th- that's... That's why... Th- that actually resonated with me. Because, because remember, I'm, I'm watching this movie, and I was forming these thoughts on the fly during that initial viewing like i wasn't taking notes i was just watching the movie but i was thinking like i think they're doing a thing where batman kind of sucks yeah they're doing like a avengers one where like captain america doesn't find his purpose until they're at war basically it kind of sucks up until then um i got that vibe I, i i'm probably wrong but that's what i was feeling when i was watching the movie um anyway i really loved that sequence because it felt like this was batman proving batman matters like this is batman actually contributing because what he does is all the guns are down like all the bad guys are defeated gordon's with him selena's with him like he he has a support system whether he wants to acknowledge it or not but there's a power line dangling from the ceiling that's threatening to electrocute all the people including the mayor and the little boy the, the former mayor's oh, we gotta get the little son. boy out of there yeah but there's an electrical wire dangling and Batman uses a grappling hook and without thinking twice about it, like swings out to it and cuts it. And then he falls in the water. It's like, wow, you just saved a shit ton of people. Okay. And no one else in the room could have done that. Like Gordon got up those stairs to the scaffolding pretty quick. I'm pretty sure those gunmen kind of sucked, 
Like they couldn't even. They, you think they <laughs> they winged her, and there were like thirty of them. Like they kind of sucked, and I'm pretty sure Gordon could have taken care of that because a lot of cops got up there pretty fast, uh. and she was covered in everything. But that moment, like him cutting the wire, that was like only he could have done that because he only he had a grappling hook, and then like the music swells and it's like a dialogueless scene and it's like this big scary batman showing up and like saving these people like not even saving them just like casting light on them and guiding them to safety and that like the closing narration of the movie kind of points to the thematic wrap-up of the story where he begins the story purely as a force of vengeance smashing heads in and instilling fear in in the criminal populace of gotham Apparently, doing so inspired the Riddler to, to put on a mask and become a terrorist. <laughs> um, so there's a backlash to that. But the closing narration suggests, like, hmm, scaring people and bashing heads in isn't good enough. I need to inspire hope in people. Um, and as I said, there's a, there's a lot of allusions to, like, the city itself maybe being more important than Batman. Like... There's a lot of civil servants and a lot of people on the sidelines that seem to actually be moving the plot forward and actually solving the problems. Catwoman actually calls Bat- Batman out on not paying attention to what's happening on, on the ground level. Like She's like, do you live in a cave? Like, Do you watch the news? And he doesn't. Like He has it on, but he only, tur- he only turns his music down when they mention his parents. Like he's, He doesn't have the, the pulse of, of the general populace. Like They deliberately insert shots of martinez like watching on his fucking cell phone the mayoral election mm-hmm. while batman and gordon are just farting around town chasing riddles and shit that awesome batmobile sequence as super fucking cool as that was it amounts to nothing That's like they, they they interrogate and accuse the penguin of being the person the person that they're searching for and they are wrong yeah and it's only through I don't know a quirk in speech that they discover the website that they need to use to talk to the Riddler. Oh, you mean the the penguin, the highly educated bilingual <laughs> penguin, figures out the grammatical Spanish error? Yeah, okay. Yeah, but the point I'm driving yeah. at is that they've they've been they've been focusing on the wrong problems, and there's yeah. a reason we have dropheads in this in this movie. There's a reason why corruption is a core theme of the story. And that speech that Bella Real gives at the end of the movie about we need to we need to redevelop hope and integrity in in our institutions. And it's just like I can hear this movie talking to every teenager in the audience about how disillusioned they are. It's like shit was real dark when we were young. It's even darker now for them <laughs> because like we had our Iraq War shit going on when we were in high school. But like mm-hmm. it's gotten gotten even worse man yeah. like and, oh no shit <laughs> yeah i mean you have fucking QAnon shit in this movie like yeah. like like if that's in your mainstream tentpole summer blockbuster films there is a serious fucking problem yeah because that's normally the sort of subject matter that would not be touched by films like this but i did like that development like i like i like that scene where he cast the flare and he realized and it's telling also that the we see him in public in daylight and his first interaction with the public in the beginning of the movie is a, a man saying, don't hurt me. <laughs> After he beats up all the Joker-inspired gangs, the proto-Joker-inspired gangs, at the very beginning of the movie, Kyle. He gets in a fist fight in the first few minutes of the movie. <laughs> oh, the little shitheads. 
Yeah. Okay. And yeah. the guy that he saves yes, says, don't hurt, me. don't hurt me. We've been here for a while, but I don't <laughs> <No. laughs> remember that at all. He says, don't hurt me. Yeah. That, that's, that's the general public's perception of Batman at the beginning of the film. And by the end of it, there's a woman clutching his hand and seeking comfort from him in broad daylight while he's wearing costume. It's like, he's understanding that it's like, oh, public outreach. Like, <laughs> like society as a whole, rather than smashing heads in. <laughs> so it's interesting. Like, this Batman grew and changed, although not that much, because he does drive away from Selina at the end. Um, but the subversion quality to the, the film extends even to the, the closing moment of it, where the music starts to swell and then kind of like half gets there. It's like, oh, that was almost satisfying. That's almost what my ear was expecting. <laughs> Fuck you, Matt Reeves. Good job, though. Good movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I disagree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everything that guy just says bullshit. Yeah, everything he just says bullshit. Uh, it was bad execution. It was too long. Uh, I was disengaged very, very quickly. Even on the rewatch, it was even quicker because I had already seen some of it. Uh, I think that I think you're right. There was a lot of good themes, a lot of interesting things. I think there was an interesting way to execute it, but it was just too long that I couldn't care less about how, like all the little details that you picked up. I'm impressed because I never would have picked up any of that because it was just so disengaging for me. Um, maybe the next one will be a little bit shorter and a little bit more exciting but yeah for me it, it just hit like a thud and I couldn't wait for it to be over so I'm sorry even after this talk I'm like yeah I, I still stand by my opinion of it uh, I thought it was awful well, that's why it's fun to talk about these things though. Yeah. But I did not anticipate how much you knew about Batman. I know a lot about. It. I like Batman. Do you want me to? I can take off if you want to. Uh, <laughs> if you want to keep going. Last. Thing. I don't want to cut you Last off. Last thing. I want. I want. I'm gonna piss you off. So maybe this will wake you up. <laughs> I I I feel like I'm. I feel like I have a little bit of a Blade Runner uh, situation with this movie, mm. where I really admire and appreciate Blade Runner its influence is incredible yep. it has touched all of cinema yep. in so many incredible ways but as a film as a film going experience mm-hmm. I just don't connect with it the way some other people do however I appreciate it I admire it and I think from an aesthetic standpoint it is gorgeous mm-hmm. it is an amazing incredible audiovisual experience I, like you, actually kind of had a similar experience with The Batman, where, okay. where I I think it's a gorgeous film in a lot of ways, although that final action sequence also looks like it was filmed on the volume, and it, the green screening looks raggedy as shit. The, oh, the with the platforms and stuff? Oh, it looked awful. It looked yeah. awful. That's also why I was checked out, because yeah. when he was up on the platform, I'm like, okay, this it, is... It I, looks terrible. It looks awful. Like, for an otherwise gorgeous film, that looked terrible yeah that's where they cut the corner yeah i mean I, I did hear there were a lot of reshoots okay um also COVID. i wasn't gonna bring it up it, but... it was at the height of the pandemic it, yeah. it was a tricky time <laughs> robert pattinson got COVID. <laughs> like no joke like they came they came they broke they broke and then they came back and he immediately got it and they had uh, a break again <laughs> you can pay to be batman i think you can get COVID. You'll be okay. <laughs> um but yeah my my connection to this movie is largely based in the themes the ideas and the aesthetics mm. as a film going experience i agree with you pretty much 90 <laughs> percent. i do think it is over long 
I do think it's a frustrating watch in a lot of ways. Um, it's not going to be something I put on very frequently. Uh, I've seen The Dark Knight Rises, which is only 15 minutes shorter. Yeah. Like, uh, like 30 minutes. About, about 20 minutes. 20, yeah, it, it's yeah. not it's two and a half hours. It's not that much shorter. No. Um, I've seen that like five times. Yeah. Six times. I've seen it a billion times, I think, at this point. It's yeah, insane. so it's not it's not necessarily the length. It's it's the pace and and how... I don't know, floaty it feels at times. Like, it, it doesn't give you much to latch on to unless you're putting it under a magnifying glass, which I apparently did. Go back and rewatch The Dark Knight and try to get through that last 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, it drags. Okay. It, it, it's been a minute, but yeah. yeah, maybe I'll do that. But yeah, yeah. I, I, as much as it sounds like I completely disagree with you, it's not necessarily no. the case. I, it is a problem with some ser- It is a film with some serious problems. I think I can appreciate Blade Runner. Uh, like, like you said, like you aesthetically really like it, but you can't really engage with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I for me, I I can. It's shorter. <laughs> it's much shorter. <laughs> but I I understand that. Yeah, this was just one of those movies where it's like I could not I could not engage like you could. Yeah, it just no, wasn't for me. Perfectly fine, but at- just like a half hour shorter than the next. <laughs> one. Just just two and a half hours is fine. <laughs> Three hours, <laughs> but the problem is, is like I don't know what you could have cut out of this movie. That's the kind of the crazy thing. Like you could have cut a lot, actually. Well, actually, the problem comes from the cinematography and the style of editing. I guess so. Well, because there's a lot of shots in this that have to be long because of the way they're blocked. In fact, on that second viewing, I was scrubbing through a lot of this. In fact, really? second viewing, Kyle, you'll be surprised. I skipped all the action scenes. I, I don't... The action scenes weren't that great. I mean, well, you, or you'd already seen them in the trailer. Well, it's because I had that theory about Batman not being effective. Yeah. I was like, I think these action scenes are here to keep people... To make it so you can have that Scarface viewing experience where the, the, the people that just want that can get that. I will... And then the rest of us that you know are trying trying to view the film as like as a piece of analysis film analysis like we'll get something else i will give this movie one thing this obviously besides the gotham but there is one <laughs> shot that i really do like and the reason why batman goes or why bruce wayne goes to the uh the the funeral or whatever the fuck yeah is he's like a lot of times serial killers will go back to the like like will go like visit the deceased or something like that or go to like a crime scene or something like that and there's a scene where everybody's freaking out because there's something coming, and you just see the silhouette of some dude standing in the raft, like standing up on the balcony. I'm like, that's a good shot. That, that, that is a that is a very good shot. Also, there's a asthmatic like <gasps> that the Riddler makes that you hear it on the soundtrack as he walks into the church. That was really neat. Yeah, um, I didn't catch that, but I, I might go back and try to hear that. I but do, I do have a theory that again, this is when Trevor was like, I think this Batman kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I can't confirm this. I don't think that car was going to hit that kid. It wasn't. Yeah. I, I actually was watching it this time. I'm like, that car was nowhere near so that kid. Maybe I'm not entirely baseless in, in spinning I, this this yarn. Because I, I, I don't think that that kid was going to get hit by that car. 100% wasn't. The kid was fucking like 30 feet away from where yeah, that and, car was hit. Yeah, and they, there's like some like one frame shots of, of the chairs like kind of causing now, it to swerve a little bit. Now, I, I, I will counter that when... When he goes to save him, the car is nowhere near. Yeah. But the car does seem to appear to, like, kind of hit over in that area. But I... I mean, the, very very similar to the characters in this movie and, and you know, chewing on types or whatever. <laughs> Maybe I'm just seeing things that I want to see. It's very much the case with a lot of the characters in this story. But I do think that's a idea at work here is that 
Batman Batman has a sense of self-import and also that extends to his conversations with Selina and Alfred. It does seem like he he he's of the mind that only he's allowed to to bear the burden. Only he's allowed to suffer the way he suffers. It's like, dude, get off your high horse, man. <laughs> just op- open the vault and just just build an orphanage. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> you could do anything. Yeah, you could do so much. Also, the, I did have kind of a funny thing. Was uh, he was like, I was in the I was in the orphanage. You know, that's where I grew up. I'm like, yeah, the orphanage under the Falcone years. That's not that's not a great place to be. That's, <laughs> that wasn't great. Uh but yeah, I think that's more than enough to be said about Matt Reeves's The Batman. This is going to be our longest episode, I can tell you right now. <sighs> We've never hit 3.30, I don't think. Yeah. Even I, with bathroom breaks, it's going to be about 3.34. I wish I had been more organized. <laughs> I, I still failed to get it all out. But I, this, I know, that's what's crazy. Is I'm like, he can keep going. I was going to say, I'll, if you want to pause, I'll, I'll take off if you want to just finish no, up. I, no, I, I, I'll turn into the Riddler if I do that too long. <laughs> I was actually I pictured him like, He's riddling right now. He's riddling right now. <laughs> he needs more wall space. <laughs> I did not think this is how this was going to go. I was like, this is going to be a crisp two, maybe two and a half hour episode. Oh, oh God, no. No, Trevor is uh, Trevor loves Batman. George likes spicy chicken. Okay. Um, that being said, folks at home, if you've survived this episode... <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> uh, and you'd like to... Give our other episodes a listen. You can find all those collected on our website, which has been updated. It's been a while. Um, CatchingUpOnCinema.com. You can also find us on the Instagram at CatchingUpOnCinema, as well as the Twitter at CatchingCinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Not Kyle, though. Uh, He doesn't touch that shit with a 10-foot pole. Um, And the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Google it. That being said, thank you, thank you so much for listening. Drive safe. <laughs> Eat a cookie. Keep keep your I don't know. Get your blood sugar up if you yeah. got it. Take a melatonin, yeah. uh, and we will catch you next time. Yeah.